let me let me start this thing off. All right. Hello, welcome to the Basin Conspiracy. I'm Ian Brodsky. I'm Stephen Zuber. I'm Jess Dickey. And Stephen wants to start us off with a digression. We we aren't even getting to the show proper, and we're already digressing. So hit us up, Stephen. So I was in a semi-serious car accident on Saturday. Holy we're shit. recording on Monday. What happened? We were at a stoplight, and some woman hit us at 40 miles an hour from behind. Oh, fuck. Um, so this ties in because we're talking about driving earlier. So this is relevant, re- loosely relevant to the podcast. Yeah. No, we're uh, fine. She's fine. She got yeah. some bruises from the airbags. She was in an Audi, and we were in a Forester, so... We drove home and she, you know, I think it's totaled, but they're going to try and fix it. It couldn't have been 40 miles an hour then. Is that, It uh, was. Holy crap. Is we, you, and Rachel who, who was in the car with yeah. you? Yeah, and it was Rachel's car. So oh. on, the, on the one hand, that's good because her car is sturdier and, I mean, it needs work. It's it's not, it was movable, not drivable is how I put it and okay. how, I, how, I, mm. how I suggested that she put it to the insurance people. But okay. yeah, I mean, we were able to get it home. But the... The thing was just, you know, it was a moment of distraction. This woman, she's definitely struck me as the person who didn't go around crashing all the time. Like, what she had said was, like, the last thing that she remembered was, like, noticing this billboard. And it was, like, some burgers or whatever. Mm. And she just, like, didn't notice. We had been stopped at a stoplight. There's, like, eight cars in front of us. It wasn't, like, you know, a sudden thing. We were, we'd been hanging out for 15 seconds. Yeah. Did you hit the car in front of you? No, luckily. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean, her car's got solid brakes. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, so. I mean, luckily, schmuckily, it would have been her fault anyway because yeah, she caused it it makes the the damages easier and less people involved and that's true luckily the woman who does was super cool and we were super cool so there's none of this like getting out and yelling or anything like that yeah but yeah no so that ties in because just you know the the moment of distraction the paying attention thing yeah. i'm assuming she had a relatively clean record like she she said she couldn't believe this happened uh, there was i mean we, we hung out for two hours waiting for the cops we got to know each other pretty well yeah. that's kind of cool actually yeah yeah i mean it was a it was a boring way to spend a saturday afternoon but um, and sort of annoying because, you know, the downside of it being Rachel's car, she's got the nice newer, it's like 2013 Forester. And if it was in my car, the 99 Accord, we would have been probably seriously, probably very hurt. Yeah. At least somewhat hurt. But on the plus side, my car's not worth anything. So there, there would have been that. <laughs> I got rear-ended my Honda Civic, uh, I think probably 25, 30 miles an hour. But uh, I saw in my rear view, like it caught my attention just a second before you hit. And so I took my foot off the brake. And that, like, really lessened the impact, mm-hmm. right? Because it didn't have this holding, stopping power to smash him right into me. I kind of yeah. rolled with it and hit the guy in front of me. But at that point, there had been so much decre- decreasing the force, right? He barely got hurt. I mean, his car barely got scratched and he drove away because I guess maybe he was drunk or, I don't know. Or just didn't had care. contraband in his car or just didn't care, yeah. Yeah, I've it before and just told the person, like, don't worry about it. And, like, yeah. you know. Um, no, we, that was... I heard her gasp, so I was playing my phone. She was driving. She saw them in the rearview mirror, and she she went like she was some like audible like oh, I can't remember if it was a gasp or like an oh shit or something. But yeah, her glasses went flying off. Her airbags or our airbags didn't deploy. So oh yeah, wow. we were okay. it was fine. Yeah, but you anyway, your, your airbags didn't. No. Oh yeah, they, but like you guys were not injured or anything. No. I mean, her next week, we went to the urgent care yesterday just to, you know, make sure, yeah. like, it was, it was front stuff, like muscles, because she went like this. Mm. Yeah. So, and I mimed, like, a kind of crouching motion, like, to tell you to do on a plane. Yeah, I mean, since I was, you know, that's why I think either it's a rumor or it's something the doctors believe, but drunk people tend to be less injured in accidents because they tend to be pretty loose. Yeah. And it's that rigid tenseness right. when you're getting hit that, like, you know, you that, that you take the shock, shock of the car rather than just go with it. Yeah. So since I was just sitting there, it also cracked my phone case when it hit the windshield. <laughs> um, oh, man. But, no, I mean, it's eight bucks. So, anyway, yeah, fun fun Saturday. Do you have bruises from the seatbelts? No. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. we're fine. I mean, it's... It was pretty cool. Solidly built cars, the, man. The last time I was in an accident involved with the Forester is one hit me. It was in my Hyundai, and 
it was in the snow and so i mean they'd been trying to stop and i was in the snow so i went sliding pretty far but it still totaled my car mm-hmm. and it like cracked his license plate cover um, he was super cool. He hung out. We waited for the cops, and he. Uh, <laughs> Everyone's could... so nice in Denver. No, the, <laughs> this, this last one was in Fort Collins. Oh, well, but, you yeah, know, no, Colorado uh, in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it worked out. Um, I couldn't have been. I mean, I've been involved with car accidents with people that weren't as cool. Yeah. But now we're getting too far afield. So, anyway, safe car, Forester, and life lesson: drive safe, and just a moment of distraction. Man, you know that's what I kept telling someone. She was upset. Like I said, she was in an Audi, and. Like, you know, generally, look, the newer a car you can get, the better. Yeah. I have uh, I saw a video of like a 57 Chevy, just like this big old honking solid steel car. And it went up against, I think, a 2010 or something, 2008. Uh, smaller car, just fiberglass on top. And they're, it's one of those crash test things. And you're like, oh, my God, that tiny thing's going to get just smashed. Uh, they hit each other. The Chevy, like, is a wreck. Crumpled shit everywhere. The new car is kind of like, eh. You know, really? my, my my front's dinged up a bit. You could see where it caved in a little, but like they just managed to get all the force around through the frame of the car, and it was it was just fantastic oh, yeah. what they do now. I guess they do like shuffle it around the car. Um, I like did volunteer EMS a few years ago, and there was this like notable drop off in just traffic fatalities with newer car technology. You mm. know, a lot of it has to do with crumple zones, which is why I was surprised. Older cars that are more rigid actually, like, will get less damage when they get hit, but they'll, like, injure the fuck out of their passengers or eject them. Mm. Whereas new ones, like, the car will kind of get crumpled up and destroyed. The people inside, like, can, you know, (laughs) fly down the side of a hill and land in a ditch upside down. And, like, you look at it and you're like, oh, God, everyone's dead. And they all walk out and they're fine. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. You can replace a car. You can't replace a Stephen. That's right. No, we're, and that's, that's what I told her was that, you know, we're all fine. We'd never do, you know, none of us had kids in the car or anything. None of us, and... The, uh, anyway, fun story. It was just like I said. We were talking about driving a couple weeks ago. So, yeah. um, But we had actual Beijing Conspiracy content stuff to talk about tonight, right? Yes, we do. All right. Speaking about being in cars for long periods of time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Jess recently drove to, uh, to Berkeley to, I guess, do the, uh, what do they call it? The Rationalist Pilgrimage. Pilgrimage, yeah. That's, that's what I call, that what they call it. Mecca. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what they call it. Okay. Yeah. Is that what they call it? I thought I, I get. I don't know who you. I, I made that up independently. Yeah. So. I don't know if anyone else calls it that. We're we're, we're starting a thing now. I'm sure it's not that clever, but yeah. All right. So yeah. how okay. was it? Was it everything everyone hoped and dreamed? Um, the thing is, uh, I'm not sure because I didn't actually like plan this to be a trip to Rationalist Mecca. Uh, I actually was just uh, going there because I needed to get uh, my partner's passport from Berkeley. They moved to Denver recently from Berkeley, so they could get hired at their job. <laughs> And then, like, the secondary objective was to visit REACH, which is uh, an acronym standing for Rationality and Effective Altruism Community Hub. And uh, I did want to go, like, hang out with the rationalist crew while I was out there. So this was where your partner had lived before, right? Yeah, they, uh, weirdly, they were, like, you know, from Denver. They moved to Berkeley to work for a programming company, and uh, then they, like, recently moved back to Denver. So they'd already been, like, a whole part of the, the rationalist sphere there. And new people? Yeah. Did you get to like meet a whole bunch of cool rationalists then? I did. Sweet. How was it? It what, was pretty sweet. <laughs> what, 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 is it, what does it do to someone to be like in a whole world of rationalists around them? Um, I think that it's actually like pretty cool having that whole community. Like my partner actually didn't get into Less Wrong, I don't think from, you know, the usual routes that we did uh, by reading Methods of Rationality or by like finding Less Wrong, they were introduced to it because their brother was in it. <laughs> And all of their brother's friends and their coworkers, and they got like kind of you know drawn into it just naturally that way. Mm-hmm. And I think there's kind of um, a little bit more visibility for the community out there because there are so many rationalists and they have events and they're a bit more visible. 
Neat. So, like, the wider world there actually kind of knows something about them? A little bit. Weird. Like, I talked to, uh, I went and visited my aunt and uncle who live there, and I kind of was like, my, my uncle works in, like, the tech field, too, but he's, like, an older dude, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of saying, like, oh, yeah, you know, this is my friend, and we're going to uh, go hang out at, like, The Reach, which is this thing. And he kind of was like, oh, yeah, I've heard about those guys. Neat. <laughs> so, so word's getting out there that we exist and that we're those weird people. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just feel more comfortable in general with those sorts of people? Absolutely. Oh. I was wondering if it was going to be like the kind of thing that like you amp up and you think it's going to be like, oh, this is like the Ravenclaw common room and <laughs> everyone's going to be, you know, academically oriented or, or fun to interact with. And then it's just like a bunch of regular people. Right. So it wasn't that. There I were, mean, there no, more... it was, th- I don't know. Uh, it's not like, you know, you're hanging out with robots <laughs> more uh, than usual. Well. <laughs> I, I don't know. I like self-identify as a robot personally. And I just imagine <laughs> that's kind of a joke, but, um definitely helps to have like just common background and like vocabulary that you can share with people and also like i just really enjoy rationalist culture where you can dispense with a lot of small talk bullshit and kind of just sit down and be like so what do y'all think about ai alignment and then you can all just like sit there and cry about ai (laughs) which actually happened (laughs) is there that much to say about ai alignment um i don't know it was a bunch of other things again like kind of a joke kind of not but uh gotcha gotten into like some pretty cool discussions with people that just like you know we could instantly kind of get on a deeper level about some things with like people i had never met before but we all had this common lexicon and we'd read the same blog posts and cared about the same things that's what i like about the in space meet or the uh, meet space meetups that we do once a month Mm -hmm. the the vibe is just different than going out to you know lunch with the coworkers. yeah you got to kind of start from first principles or (laughs) yeah exactly figure out like okay what are you interested in you know what's your background exactly what can can i say around you what can i not yeah you can be with basically strangers at a meetup and you'd be like hey i've been tossing around this puzzle for a while what do you guys think and you can just all dive in and there's not this expectation of like wait i don't know like your name or like what you do for a living or where you're from or all that you know stuff which is great to know people but uh it's hard to put my finger on why i like that so much it's just if you're looking just to skip straight to the fun part of a conversation, you can. And not saying that getting to know people isn't fun, but it sometimes is not. Well, you know what I mean. Am I the only like antisocial jerk right here? No, 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 no. Um, getting, I don't know. It depends what mood I'm in. I generally really like meeting people and learning about them and stuff, but it is work. It is always, there's that initial ice to break. There's the slow getting to know someone process. And, you know, it's it can be exciting, but I can see how you aren't down for it constantly. And also, most of the people that I like get together to meet with, I already have an expectation that I think I'm going to like this person. Whereas if it's um, someone that I'm just a coworker with, I'm like, Ugh, I'm around you because I have to be around sure. you. That, which makes it much less exciting. It'd be like, if you found like this really interesting blog post about, I don't know, um, actually one that was linked to in the comments of one of the less wrong posts that we're going to discuss later was... Uh, Brian, Ka- or yeah, Brian Kaplan talking about how he grades on a curve and he broadcasts that to the class. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I, if you guys all want to come in half days or half the time, you know, <laughs> all get to the same grade. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you just brought that up at a party and tried to get people to have a conversation about that kind of prisoner's dilemma, they, it wouldn't be fun, like with a bunch of strangers, right? I just like but, want to jump into that immediately. I'm like, wow, like if you're basically rewarding students for like good coordination and that would just be such a fascinating social experiment. Right. And so that's the, if you want to... You, you wanted, read the link, right? Yeah. yeah. And so if you want to dive into the meat of that and just chat about it with, with people, that's the... that There are environments like Less Wrong Meetups or Reach or something that, that foster like, we just want to talk and I want to get straight to this part and then I've got to go, so... It just just for context in the link he said that he's 
told uh, his class this every single year since he started teaching, and not once has anyone ever coordinated to take advantage of it. Uh. That he's aware of. That he's aware of. He said one time there were only four students in his class, and he was really nervous, <laughs> but they still didn't manage to coordinate <laughs> to take advantage of it. Well, like, and we, it's not... Which maybe we'll save it as an aside for later. But one of the things, too, is that, like, if you're there to actually learn economics, then, like, you're not inclined to take part of the deal with everyone else where you're going to skip 75% of the day. But that's such a right? good economics lesson already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can just read your books at home. I don't know. <laughs> if you guys just all agreed not to take any of the exams, then you'd be fine or something. I don't know. Anyway. So, back to stuff. Sorry. No, it's all good. Uh, into the thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The reach. So, uh, how long were you there for? Um, I was there for about a week and a half, um, although some of that counts travel time. So uh, I went to like a boot camp semi recently a few months ago, which was in Arizona. And uh, that was an 18 hour drive. And I decided to just do the whole thing straight. Mm, <laughs> this God. time, uh, this was a 20 hour drive. So I decided to split it up into three days and stay at some Airbnbs. Oh, three and, days. Yeah. Okay. Like both ways. So I drove like part of the time. My partner drove part of the time and it was like actually really doable that way. Cool. And I got to like see a little bit more sights along the way and it was less of a like grind. So, I don't know that I'd necessarily recommend one method of road tripping over the other. When you were in Arizona, you did you stay with those people that you were uh, doing the boot camp with? No, I just stayed at an Airbnb there too. Oh, okay, okay. Where did you stay while, while you were in Berkeley? Um, in Berkeley, we ended up staring, staying also like in an Airbnb. Um, there's space that you can actually stay at at Reach. You just kind of like put your name on the door. There's rooms with bunk beds. There's a sizable amount, too. What do you mean by put your name on the door? Oh, they have, like, whiteboards on the door, and you just kind of, like... I- I'm not sure if you actually have to call ahead of time. I should probably have looked that up, but, uh... <laughs> It'd be nice look- if you could, because if you showed up on a what happens to be a busy weekend expecting a free bed, then yeah. that'd be kind of a Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure there's actually probably some form that you have to, like, actually fill out online or at least check in, but, uh... All right, right now I'm having a hard um, time getting a mental image of reach, so wh- what... what? How does this... What is it? How does it work? What is... What is reach in a purely physical sense okay so uh from their website reach is a physical community space for people trying to optimize their lives and their philanthropy they facilitate cooperation between individuals and groups who are trying to improve the world so uh what actually is it this is a building um the building that is now reach used to be the cafe el renaissance so it has um what was a cafe on the first floor and then the second floor was living space so the first floor is mostly like a large open area with a bar counter site type thing on one side? Um, they don't even really have the bar counter. They kind of, I don't know how much they actually renovated it from being the cafe or not. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I want to point out <laughs> is that the sign Cafe El Renaissance, they actually pulled all the letters off that don't spell reach. <laughs> so there's capital R, lowercase E-A, and then like space, and then C. There's no H in Cafe El Renaissance. So, <laughs> so it's the, the first reek. thing you'll notice about it is that it is, it is the reek. Uh, <laughs> I, like I, find that, I found that to be very funny. Yeah, I think like they were saying that like they were trying to get somebody to get an H and somebody said they were going to and they never did. And I kind of like it better without it. Hmm. <laughs> it's, now it's got character it makes a story, and a history. Yeah. yeah. So like uh, the, the, the first floor is basically, basically an open space then. Yeah. Does so, it have tables and chairs or what's, what is it? It's kind of a community room. Uh, they have like the little individual rooms with bunk beds that people can stay in. Also uh, on the and then floor? there's, yeah, on the first floor. Okay. And then there's the like big open area where there's some couches. Uh, there's some tables for like co working or meetings. So is it more like a library or more like one of those uh, co working slacking places? Probably more like a co working slack place, I guess. Okay. And, uh, 
above it where the like living space for the cafe was that's now another rationalist group house so people live up there full time oh how, how big is that I don't know. I didn't see it. And okay. uh, the people that live there did not really come down and interact with us. Okay. Um, if you go on the Reach website, they have this photo with a room full of these awkward looking wicker chairs. <laughs> but at some point, they seem like they switched to a rack of wall mounted folding chairs above the door. Mm. So now they can like probably fit about 15, 20 people plus a projector for their bigger events. But otherwise, like they actually pull all that out of the space on normal days. So there's like a pretty decent sized open area. How large is it? Um... The size of like your average living room, maybe, plus like that, that that's just the open area. And then there's like a little kitchen and the uh, the rooms that you can sleep in. And how many rooms? I think there are, I forget if there's two or three. I want to say that there's three and then they each have a few beds. And how many people are like in there on a typical when you walk in? I'm not sure how many are typically in there. Um, when I was there, I think there were about five people staying there. And I mean, like. I'm really curious, you walk in and what are they doing? Is there like drug dealing going on or are they having li- really rationalist chess games or what's... Uh, they're mostly just hanging out on laptops or like cooking or hanging out on couches and reading books. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think they're doing depressingly mon- pedestrian stuff, Inyash. Uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> I keep thinking, maybe this is where they create the, the cyborgs that no one else knows about. Yeah, there's like this like Tony Stark workshop in the back. <laughs> yes, and exactly. They're augmenting people back there. I yeah. mean, there's also, you know, different events. So they do have the like special projects night where maybe you'll see more of that stuff. Oh my God. They should have an annual Rocky Horror Picture showing. Ooh, that would be fun. Yeah. I mean, you could organize that. There's like a spot on their website where you can just like volunteer to host different events. I'm sure you would get a turnout for Rocky Horror. Fuck yeah. So, uh... I want to say that there's a kitchen with a fridge full of drinks and snacks that visitors can take in exchange for suggested donations, and hilariously, it was just completely full of Soylent and Meal Squares, <laughs> which I, like, made use of. That's how you know it's a rationalist place. Yeah, yeah you sent us a picture of you guys, <laughs> I like, sent having lunch or a picture nice. of, like, the entire fridge just full of Soylent. Oh, no, I, saw, I was talking about the one where you guys were sitting down eating, and everybody uh, had a bottle of Soylent next that's, to That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty typical. Um, I was pretty happy with whoever had stocked it because they had coffeeist Soylent, which like I can never find. It's the best one. So Strong thank disagree, you to but I respect your your. Well, they had the chai too. I don't know which one's your the, favorite. The chai is the best one. Okay. But I understand your your predilection for coffee. Yeah. Well, they're both good. I like my coffee sweet enough to give me diabetes, which this one isn't. So that's why I like it. It's not sweet. Yeah. All do... those like meal replacement shakes, they make them really sweet, and I find them to be kind of gross because I don't like sweet stuff that much. I could probably have like the the coffee one if I did it like half and half with a frappe from Starbucks <laughs> or something. <laughs> You'd have to drink two then. Exactly. Yeah, there's also a pretty big uh, lending library in there, hmm. which was just you know they crammed a few bookshelves in there, and they're full of uh, donated books, games, movies, um, and I understand that they have like swaps for these kinds of thing uh they're probably advertised on the reach facebook i didn't see any when i looked on there real quick but i saw that they do have swaps Hmm. uh how much time did you spend in there um i wasn't there full time i was mostly kind of traveling around visiting different people and uh staying at like a different airbnb but i would go there like a couple of days for different like small events for uh also the co-working There, there were actually events there while you were there yeah um like, sadly, my visit didn't actually line up with any of the big structured events. Oh. So they have uh, the official rationalist and the EA meetups there. How many people show up for those? I don't know. I didn't see. Damn. Um, I'm kind of seeing, like, I don't know. I, I, yeah, yeah, I grew up Jehovah's Witness. So they had kingdom halls instead of church, right? And it was kind of like a more of a large office auditorium and people just, like, shuffle in and then listen to someone talk about God for a while. And afterwards, the socialization. And I'm like... Would it be like that? Except instead of talking about God, they're talking about cool rationalist shit. 
I mean, maybe. I know. Yeah, they had like a guest book by the door with a schedule of like upcoming events so I could see all the things I was missing out on. Oh. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually like schedule my trip to line up with anything. We were just going there to get my partner's passport. Mm. And we were just like, hey, let's go swing by the Reach. But uh, so how it works is uh, unless you're like rooming at the Reach, uh, normally this community room part is only open to the public for events. And oh. uh, the events have like a designated host. And uh, hosts are just like whoever wants to volunteer there. So you can propose whatever regular meetups you want to have, uh, like a one-time meetup. And uh, if you're going to be a host, you're responsible for making sure everybody gets in and out and everybody behaves and keeps the space clean. Yeah. And, you, uh, oh, what was that? You didn't, you weren't there specifically for events. You just showed up to hang out for a bit, right? Yep. I just, how, how did you get in? Um, I like lined up with whatever events were going on. Oh, oh we just, okay. I don't know. My, my partner knows people. Uh, we were just texting like, Hey, when are people going to be at reach? And we just showed up at those times. Okay cool yeah one of my partner's partners um, actually volunteers to like host a bunch of the events so that was convenient yeah um on reach's website you can see that there's a pretty reasonable list of rules and norms that reach host attendees hosts and attendees should follow and uh, i recommend that checking that out before if you're planning a visit um yeah i was mostly going to the weekday co-working my understanding is that the co-working is more or less structured based on who happens to be hosting and bunking at the reach at the time so some of the hosts like to do uh, Pomodoros. So that's, uh, we mentioned that before in a different episode. That's where you do the focused work for 25 minutes and followed by a five minute break. And you can like chat and do some kind of group exercise. Were you and there for any of those? Nope. Um, <laughs> when I was there, the co-working was more informal. Okay. It was just like people hanging out on their laptops with headphones if they wanted to actually get work done. Mm-hmm. And then otherwise everybody's kind of just hanging out and chatting and you could kind of like pop in and out of those conversations as you pleased. Hmm. Um, I was in a pretty long group discussion about polyamory, and that was fun. Nice. <laughs> so some of the people that were staying at Reach uh, were there because they were actually looking to like move to the Bay. And I think that that's what a lot of people, they either go there to attend the events, or they're actually like, hi, I'm in the process of moving to the Bay or checking it out to see if I want to move here. So that was a few of the people staying there. Yeah. And that was kind of cool, because uh, I got to like sit on conversations about like so what's the bay area life like what's like the housing situation mm-hmm. shit yeah <laughs> what kind of jobs you know what do you think about the moving to the bay area um if i didn't love denver so much i would consider moving there actually yeah. and i do really like denver and i just moved here so i'm kind of like i'm right, right. set to stay here for a bit yeah but i do like want to you know go back and visit i had a pretty good time there i could never imagine just because i've been talking a while i'm sure you guys all missed hearing me <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't imagine living in uh, certainly not in the middle of the bay area but the problem is if you live 30 miles away it's like two hours in traffic like because i i don't i like living without roommates except for my my fiance and i i don't think that we could get away with spending i don't, I don't know 4500 bucks a month on rent between the two of us yeah so i like i would love to move to the bay area i think i i, I guess i'd have to visit it first you but, should probably go see it yeah but it sounds kind of perfect and it's I love group homes and stuff, but I'm really reluctant to leave Denver. And I'm also, yeah, not sure about the whole paying $2,000 for 700 square feet in someone's basement. Yeah, you definitely want a good paying job or um, a lot of roommates to split like a mortgage or a rent fee with if you're going to move out there because it's pricey. Yeah. And that's like one of the drawbacks. There's, you know, obviously some benefits and drawbacks, which I'll talk about in a bit. Totally. Okay. What else did I want to say about it? Sorry, I interjected here. Um, we were talking about moving out to read or moving out to Bay Area, and yeah. So there were a couple of smaller events that I did get to go to. Mostly, actually, I was just hanging out and doing the co-working, which was it was actually a really great environment. Um, I wish that we had something like that here, and I think I talked about like trying to organize that and never quite managed to 
do it beyond like a few of my like my partners and close friends yeah. but um yeah i want to try to make some kind of like a co-working group here in denver it's hard though because you needed a co-working area as well yeah and to like sync everybody's schedules yeah the nice thing about reach is that it's just there all the time right that's i mean yeah that's what you need the area for for it to always be there yeah where does this funding come from how do they not how do they afford not to use that space for paid things i I think they're supported by like a patreon um don't quote me on that i I heard something about that though Mm. i've actually heard that they've had trouble keeping the funding up which uh might not be the case anymore but i think that they'll get like a couple of donors that'll drop in and like make sure that it still exists because <laughs> people find it to be valuable i'm just thinking even if you're feeling crazy generous and give them a thousand dollars it's like cool there's a fifth of our rent for the month like yeah. i don't know hmm. yeah i guess enough people i don't know like i, I actually want to look into it so i'm not just like spouting bullshit but uh i'm pretty sure it's donor funded and yeah as far as uh the, the co-working environment uh i'm really happy that i was there for the co-working because i got like a ton of job search stuff done where i was kind of like having a really hard time doing it here in denver huh well uh do you know what was why was it so hard to do in denver part of it is just that like when i'm at, in my house i can't get work done okay. i get super distracted by like my roommate my cat and my chores yeah you know like oh okay i should sit down and be on my laptop and do some work except oh, i gotta like fold laundry yeah. uh oh man those dishes are dirty i should yeah I, like when i, I want to actually <laughs> get stuff done i almost always go to starbucks yeah because there's nothing else there to do starbucks is good for that too but it's even better to have like the kind of productive what what did i call it before um like positive peer pressure of people that are gonna like be like hey you, you said you were gonna work on this thing yeah i i don't know i guess i would i would have to try it i have a real hard time being productive around my friends because i like to be social when i'm actually around my friends but on the other hand maybe if i was seeing them every day instead of a few times a month that pressure wouldn't quite be there anymore like right now, it's, you know, most of the time socialization desert. And then I see my friends. I'm like, yes, must drink all the friendship now. <laughs> yeah, I feel that too. Um, there's definitely people where like if I only get to see them once a week or something, then you don't want to spend that time like not talking to them. Yeah. But like, yeah, if you're around the same people all the time uh, or if, you know, you've specifically gotten together to do this thing, like this is a co-working meetup, you feel kind of like, okay, we should do the thing we came here to do mm. <laughs> after hanging out and talking about polyamory for two hours. <laughs> right. That would, that would be a problem. Like, if I was wanting to go and get eight hours of work done, I'd probably only get four because then, then someone starts saying something interesting. Yeah. Like polyamory or AI alignment or something. Yeah, but you're the kind of person that can go get, like, eight hours of work done. Oh. Well, I, I would have gotten, like, zero or four. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm much more just a speed, so that'd be me. It's like, well, I was there for ten hours and I got four hours worth of stuff done. That's ten hours more than I would have done at home. So. Yeah. yeah, I need, like, the structure of a workplace to get motivation. It's been, like, I actually got a job, by the way, uh, which it came directly from being at Reach and just doing a ton of job hunting. Holy shit. How many places? Yeah, that's super. first of all, that's super exciting. Second of all, I'm nervous because we're just talking about... You owe your job to the rational scene. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I kind of do. Yeah. We're talking about our work styles, and I'm much more like the kind that finds it hard to do stuff from home, and my job's 60% of the time from home, so we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah. And um, I can always go to the office, I'll just be there by myself, which is fine, so. Oh, by um, the way, Steve, me and Steven both got jobs on, like, the same day. That's right. Uh, <laughs> April 2nd or 4th or something? Uh, one of those. It was funny. Yeah. And so, you got four offers after that. How many places did you apply to? I applied to, like, 50. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I just was like grinding out job applications no no that's i think that's a really good rate that's I mean, how you do it yeah cool that's awesome yeah exciting and you've been there for like a week yep yeah a week and a day this is my second week i could talk about that another time i should go back to talking about reach okay 
Yeah, so... I'm sure people will want to know, though, because you are helping humanity by developing vaccines for awesome things. <laughs> well, awesome vaccines for shitty things that <laughs> yeah, we want to be vaccinated say. against. <laughs> Making vaccines for terrible things. <laughs> yes. uh, it's like when they advertise a drug that's good for headaches. It's actually really bad for the headache. It's good for the person with the headache. Right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, headache's not like a living thing, but... Oh, okay. that you know of. <laughs> well, maybe some microorganisms that cause headaches, but... That strengthens uh, the headache. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, reach events. There were two like smaller events that I did end up going to. So there was a meditation meetup, and this is a regular, regularly attended meditation meetup that anybody could show up to. Um, they have a Facebook page that you can RSVP to. Normally there's a guided meditation there or an exercise who's led by a particular organizer who I'll call G, because I don't want to just say people's names without their permission. However, there was another REACH visitor who was actually somebody who was planning to move to the Bay Area and was just staying at REACH in the meantime, and also job searching, I'll call them F, who also does guided meditations incidentally and volunteered to lead a happiness and laughter meditation, which was the most adorable thing. He basically like sat everybody down and we kind of just like got into this very happy headspace with him guiding us and then like kind of we're just laughing and the laughter became really infectious and everybody was just laughing hysterically Mm. and uh then he also cooked vegan indian food for us so that was a really great night and there was also a rationalist brunch which is another one of the regularly attended meetups uh i think those are hosted by different organizers that is awesome we're just a bunch of rationalists get together for brunch yep oh my god (laughs) and that's another one that's on the reach calendar you'll see it i think breakfast meetup or brunch um and you, the format is bring your own food, which is funny because I didn't realize you had to bring your own food. Mm. <laughs> um, or you can just grab something from the community fridge. Um, the When I looked on the Facebook page, it did say that if you have the low spoons, the host can see about preparing something for you. But otherwise, it's kind of just like bring your own stuff and then hang out with people. So the meditation host from the other night, sadly, was not there. So we all just ate various forms of meal replacement. <laughs> Sorry, what's low spoons mean? Oh, um, if you're not familiar with spoons theory, that's like you have so many spoons that like represent your mental energy. So if you have a low number of spoons, you can perform less like tasks that involve having to be agenty. So it's basically just mental energy, but it comes from a really good um, like physical description someone gave of what it's like to not have enough energy to do all the things a normal person does in one day and you have to go back and read the original article to get it it's it's like any other term that was really well explained by a good example where then it gets overused for a while and people get tired of it but i mean the original example is really good and it makes for great shorthand once you know what it means we'll send it my way and we'll put in a link in because that sounds interesting yeah i was just talking with somebody about the what it's like to live with depression Mm. and it sounds like a similar kind of thing where If you're explaining to somebody who doesn't understand it, it's like, why don't you just like, have you tried going outside or picking yourself up by your bootstraps? And it's right. like... That's why the spoons metaphor was so good, because you can visualize ha- having a handful of spoons, right? Cool. Yeah. All right, or nice. having two. Right. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to really like decide where you're going to allocate these two spoons. Mm-hmm. Cool. Appreciate it. Sorry. Thanks. No, oh, wait, actually, that was a good question. Last, This one's not a good question, but I'm curious. <laughs> the, what was it called? The community fridge. Is there a way to donate uh, without paper money? Um, I think they accept Bitcoin. Do they accept like just like a like a swipe card, like a Venmo or like a debit transaction Possibly? or something? Possibly, I I don't remember. Because if not, sure. that sounds like super suboptimal. Because like, so what? I'm gonna move to the Bay Area and then go to the bank for the first time in five years and carry around <laughs> cash? Come on. <laughs> I feel like there's probably a way you can donate. I was just I, card. just that was my own curiosity. Told you it wasn't a good question. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll also link the spoons thing on our webpage, like we always do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be cool to do like a mental illness episode at some point. Mm-hmm. I could certainly talk about that. Well, I'm pretty sure most, almost everyone in the rash is yeah. going to be good. 
Yeah, so we had the brunch meetup. It was basically a bunch of nerds eating meal replacement, and uh, the host microwaved and ate some canned corn. And then we were all just laughing about how stereotypical we are. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we kind of just talked really informally about like psychology and optimization. And uh, it was really nice, low-key atmosphere. Not that many people attended the one I was at. I understand that there's sometimes larger groups. And that's kind of, I guess, just based on who's around at the reach at the time and probably based on who's hosting, too. Um, and I noticed when I was looking on the Facebook that some of the brunch events are listed as being kid friendly. So there's rationalists with kids. And if you want to meet others like yourself, that might be a good event to go check out. Are there brunch events that aren't kid friendly? I don't know. Like S&M brunch or something? Uh, mm, <laughs> this is the Bay Area. You can, you can bet <laughs> okay. there are people showing up with people who... those are called munches. Yes. <laughs> They're called what? Munches. Today I learned. I, I, I'm going to leave that link blue, and I'll, I'll not satiate my curiosity. I mean, no, it's it's literally just a brunch meeting of people that are into kinky stuff and are willing to talk about it. Oh, but they're not having a kinky brunch. No, yeah, you're like no. oh, meeting that's, that's, super, that's not like you have kids there. You just you know. Yeah, you could have kids. Yeah, yeah I mean, probably. it depends on how okay you are with your kids hearing about sex existing. You're not there with your paid furry who's not allowed to talk <laughs> and has their tail in at all times and I eats mean, out of a bowl. You could bring that as well if you wanted to. Cool. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> the culture I experienced at Reach uh, felt pretty warm and accessible and really welcoming to me. I would say that caveat, uh, I went there with my partner who had lived in Berkeley and knew a bunch of the regulars already. So I could see it maybe being harder for random unconnected people to make connections there as easily if you just show up. Yeah. Maybe not. It depends on how like social and friendly and, you know, not socially anxious you are. If I'd gone there by myself a few years ago, I probably wouldn't have had as good a time. Uh, my recommendation would be to research ahead of time and try to sync up with a bigger group events. And you might have a better chance of meeting people in a structured environment rather than unstructured, depending on what your style is. So there's an events calendar on their website, and you could also reach out to the organizers ahead of time. There's a big obvious contact us button or a field on their website that you can just, if you just scroll down on Reach's website, uh, at the very bottom, you'll see it. And you could ask general questions. There's also the Facebook that has information about specific events where you can RSVP. And then maybe you could like talk to the host or attendees on the Facebook page. There's also a Discord channel, <laughs> which you can join, that is also linked on their, uh, on their website. And uh, that might be another way that you could get to know some of the hosts and the regulars ahead of time if you're going to have a visit out there. So did you make friends? Like new friends? Yeah, I met a bunch of people, and it was really sweet. Um, some of the people were like that I specifically went to go hang out with were my partner's partners, mm -hmm. who I, I had actually already met through Discord, but it was cool meeting them in Meet Space. Yeah. And uh, then like just the people that were hanging out at Reach and at some of the events. Out of curiosity for anyone else planning a trip, what's the ballpark range that you guys paid for um, Airbnbs and like lodging? Um... I'm trying to remember. Because it doesn't sound... I mean, it depends how many people you can divide among the property, but sometimes they're crazy affordable. But I imagine, just like everything else in, in California, it's going to be, you know, 600 bucks a night or something. No, it wasn't like that. I want to say, like, the place we were staying at was something like 60 bucks a night. Oh, we were over in Oakland. Was it just the two of you? It was, yeah, just me and my partner. That sounds insanely doable, then. So okay. yeah. 60 bucks a night total or 69 bucks a night each? Um, It was total. Oh, okay. oh totally. Like, it, it was it was over in Oakland and it was in a not great area. Still, that blows hostel. my mind. I, we, we paid for. <laughs> so you can cheap out. Did you have to defend your room with knives and guns? Um, I heard that such things happened in the area, but okay. uh, we were fine. Right. But if you're willing to shell out sixty bucks each, you can get a place twice as nice and have yeah. as many guns. <laughs> we also just crashed with some friends a few nights too, but uh. 
No, that sounds the way The reason affordable. we didn't stay at Reach is that my partner has allergies, so. <laughs> Are there pets there or something, or? Uh, it's just, like, they're just really sensitive to mold, and that's, like, I was going to list that in my, like, benefits and drawbacks of the Bay Area. Apparently, lots of places have mold. Huh. That does sound like a noticeable drawback. Yeah. So Reach is moldy. Good to know. Well, yeah. it's just humid. Any place that has humidity. Like, Denver is super bone dry, oh and nothing God. ever gets humidity. That is one of the things I love about Denver. It's really nice. Yeah. Do you... Just nothing ever gets moldy. You don't have to worry about your house rotting. I The place I work at has some properties in Florida, and my God, the mold issues we have constantly. Yep. Yeah. The other thing that's nice, like, if you never visited, like, sea level, you don't really get, but, like, I, I went to Florida a few times as a teenager, and you never really get dry. Yeah. yeah. Like, you take a shower, and you go outside, and then you're just... you're. Just, still damp mm-hmm. like all day until you're in an air-conditioned building yeah. and that's it so yeah i'm from the jersey shore originally it's a uh, the winters suck because it's always that wet cold that just chills you to the bone and then any other time of the year you have to like leave your house and kind of swim slowly through the air to get to your car it's like <laughs> it's just everything sticky all the time it's Oof. really gross yeah that sounds it's rough. nice having dryness um it could be a little rough on your skin too so you know the dryness yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I first yeah, moved here, I had like mummy skin for a while. Right. You gotta <laughs> got moisturize to often. Yeah, and you also gotta wear more sunscreen here. That's only if you go outside. Well, life hack. <laughs> anyway, um, I want to talk about group houses real quick. Okay. Uh, okay. I was gonna ask. I don't uh, know if this you is have group a question related. first. Sort of. I don't know where this question would go, but did you get to meet any rationalist celebrities? No, I did not hang out with any celebrities. Okay. Uh, I didn't plan a trip for that reason, so... No, I know. <laughs> you know, apparently they're actually hard to hang out with. Um, they kind of hang out in more exclusive circles and don't always go to all the events, so... Huh. That's kind of sad. Hoity-toity. <laughs> well, I, I, got... could, I could also see, like, being constantly swamped might start sucking after a while. No, yeah. I, I totally get it. I was, th- I, was, I was making a joke. Yeah. But... I feel like these tend to be people that don't actually want, like, celebrity status. Right, right. <laughs> there, There's a reason they're famous, like, on the internet, and they're not famous for being on TV all the time. Yeah. And also, if, like, you were constantly meeting new people, and they always wanted to say the same kind of things to you, after a while, it would be like... Oh my God, I just want to form a few deeper relationships with people I'll see constantly rather than these shallow, only seeing you for a few hours every time things. That's the kind of difference in like the different kinds of celebrities, right? So mm. like if you're the kind of celebrity, I made this distinction. Um, it was back when I was going to uh, TAMS, The Amazing Meetings, mm-hmm. and somebody else I knew was going to a concert. And the way I made the distinction in my head is like if the person on the stage took off their shirt and threw it into the crowd mm-hmm. and people like stepped away from it, it was like, ew, what are they doing? <laughs> That's the kind of like community and celebrities that I like. Huh. And, if it, and if the crowd is like fighting over the shirt, that's the kind of like community and celebrities I don't want to hang out with. Okay. Right. Or at least it depends. They might be cool people in real life, but like they're in that setting. That's yeah. a different, very different kind of vibe. If someone's paying for your old shoes or something, right? Like that's, that's different. So I, I mean, there's probably not, uh, you know, a black market for, you know, Yudkowsky's old shoes, but there, <laughs> but there definitely is for like Britney Spears' old shoes, right? Is so there? There, there I, the, the reason I thought of shoes is this, something like that came to mind. Someone auctioned off her shoes 10 years ago or something. I don't know. Ah, okay. Or yeah. shoes claiming to have belonged to her, whatever. Right. So I've actually met Scott Alexander. And he has like social anxiety. And I actually like read later on his Tumblr that he just has this dread of people recognizing him in public. So of course <laughs> oh. me and like some other Philadelphia rationalists at the time were going to the New York solstice and we happened to see him. We're like, Hey, it's Scott Alexander. Hey Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and he just like had this like deer in headlights look about dear God. It's oh, man. <laughs> That's funny. 
it's humans and they want to interact with me. Yeah, I met him another time too. And the only thing I could think to say to him was like, hey man, congrats on the blog. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> and then like three other people came up and said the same thing because it was another rationalist event. I was like, oh, I feel like an idiot. But that probably hit like one of his top 10 interactions though. Because it's like <laughs> they came in, said thanks and then left. And it's like, you know, not a whole lot to it. <laughs> I think the other circumstance though is that like if he's going to a meetup, it's it seems like people are never gonna inevitably gonna recognize him right mm-hmm. but if you're just walking down the street and people are bugging him that's like you know if you're on tv that's more of a problem right yeah, yeah. well this was him walking down the street because we were also trying to find the place where the solstice happened but it was nearby right so <laughs> so we like, knew where the place was so we were able to direct him all, all of my experience bumping into celebrities is all at conferences where like they're there and they're keynote speakers or something right. so you know if, like they're there to do the celebrity thing exactly and so like i bumped into richard dawkins at both of the tams i went to and the first time i was like you know during the headlights meeting all the i met brian dunning earlier that morning and i was like freaking out at everybody <laughs> next, starstruck. yeah and i think i got it like oversaturated because the next year i was like totally chilled chilled with everybody it was great mm-hmm. it's like I've, ne- like I've never had the experience of like walking through a city and se- or like seeing a celebrity in an airport or something where like they're just living out their life but if they're at a place to be popular it's different right yeah, so yeah. I've been starstruck before too, um, embarrassingly. But you know, the more you hang out with people that you really admire, the more you start to realize, oh, these are these are humans. These are normal people. Oh yeah, no. I guess the starstruck thing doesn't really go away, but I controlled it better. Like we went out to dinner with Robin Hanson last year. Yeah, and like so, you know, we'd be hanging out and having a good time, and then I'd have like this kind of meta moment, like, oh, that's Robin fucking Hanson. That's pretty cool. <laughs> right. Um, this is another total sidebar, but my uh, uncle made one of the cars for the movie that. Anthony Hopkins was in called The World's Fastest Indian or something, or The the Fastest Indian, whatever it was, some some racing car movie. Is that why you're such a car person? No. Um, <laughs> I'm not a car it, It's just the metaphors. Okay. But, so he, he is, though, and he makes them and he works on them. But they went out to lunch or went out to breakfast with Anthony Hopkins. And my uncle, he's like the TV example of an uncle. He, like, makes jokes and he's he seems like he can't really be serious. But, he you know, what, what, in any case... He apparently, in his uncle way, pointed out to Anthony Hopkins, like, your cowboy hat's on backwards. Mm. And he didn't do it, like, in a jo- like in a jovial way. I think he was trying to, like, he did it in a way that made him feel like he was making him feel like an idiot. So he just, like, left. <laughs> so my cousin told me about this. I, I thought that, like, they bumped into him, like, at the, at the shooting or something. But no, they are actually out to breakfast, and then he left. And so when, when I was asking her about it, she's like, no, then he just got up and fucking left. <laughs> and I was like, oh. So he, like, pissed him off. And he's like, yeah. I was like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> You guys were hanging out, and he seems like a really cool guy. And <laughs> well, you don't know. Maybe he's a jerk. I, get, I, hear, I hear that he's cool. I don't know. Okay. But, I mean, I like I, to not, not just from that. people are cool. Yeah. I mean, not just from that thing, but I think people who've met him in real life, it's mm-hmm. like uh, people who meet... Who's, like, the coolest? Bill Murray is, like, the people that everybody... He's, like, the coolest celebrity really? in the world. Okay. He, like, goes he like goes to, like, random parties and, like, washes dishes and shit. Like, <laughs> he's, he's just bizarrely cool like that. I think he Keanu is Reeves his character. Is my favorite. Yeah, he's, he's just his... What'd you say? Keanu Reeves is my favorite. Oh, that too, yeah. yeah. We, were, we were raving up at Keanu, Re- Keanu Reeves last weekend. Mentioned to people who haven't seen him, Eating Ash looks like Keanu Reeves. I don't... I don't... I've heard that... Multiple people have said this. Really? Okay, I've heard that <laughs> once before, and I was like, all right, really? Why is he your favorite? Oh, because he's so fucking just, like good you know he just like <laughs> shares with people and he's he just he feels like a guy who never like went crazy with celebrity you know he's like i'm just a guy he like when the matrix made all that ton of money i think he gave like a decent percentage of it to the uh, visual effects guys because he's like they made me look good yeah most of it to the crew <laughs> yeah there's then... videos of him just like chilling with a homeless person giving them his sandwich because you know life sucks sometimes man and 
you know, he had that whole thing with losing his kid and and you just saw pictures of him like sitting on a bus stop bench being like kind of mournful and I don't know, man. He just seems like the most chill, actually good-hearted person. Huh. He, he's not like only rich and takes the subway, but he also like gives up his seat on the subway. Yeah. Like he's not too cool to stand on the subway. That's cool. I don't yeah. know anything about like real celebrities. So. I only know things about <laughs> Keanu because I really like him. <laughs> Maybe one or two others. I know that Patrick Stewart and um, Ian McKellen are like BFFs and they yeah. hang out all the time and they go way back. Oh. And Patrick Stewart that's has cute. a pit bull dog that I think has some cute name that I can't remember. So. Anyway, that's all my celebrity knowledge. Okay. That and that tidbit about Liv Tyler that I had last episode. That's the complete oh, right. lexicon of all my celebrity yeah, knowledge. Yeah, I was just so. listening to like the episode you guys recorded without me. And, and I was like, sucked. why are they talking about Liv Tyler for like 10 minutes? <laughs> Where were <laughs> <was> you? <laughs> I actually like... Don't leave us again, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to get into the good stuff about GPT too, which I was kind of sad to have missed, but uh, you did a good job. We can dive back into anything anytime, so... Yeah. Maybe not tonight. Not tonight. I gotta get to bed. We gotta yeah, stay yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so could I get back to group houses? Yes, group houses. I, I won't s- spend too long on them. Um, I'm like the opposite of Steven. I've always wanted to live in a group house. Yeah. I would love to live in an optimal group house. Yeah. But well. I, I don't know. It depends. I liked having my... I guess I've had too many bad cohabiting experiences. Right, right. Where like a bad roommate makes your sanctuary your home like not comfortable. Yeah. yeah. And like you once you've... I, if you've had that and maybe you've had it and you've just gotten over it, but... And I haven't had a chance to not get over it. I guess I could try it again. Maybe it wouldn't be as bad. But like, you come home from a rough day, and oh, your home sucks too. Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, fuck this. That well, could so. be your family too, though. Yeah, but that's that's non-voluntary, right? So if you, as long as you're choosing where to live. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I and mean, to the extent that family living is voluntary. Yeah, sometimes like in a group it's not. House, I kind of consider just my room to be my space, and everything else to be like a common area, the kitchen and the living room, and all that. Like. Like, like if you're living in a dorm back in college, right? You got your room and that's your sanctum and everything else is shared. Yeah. My, my worst living experience, I had a, a bedroom that was nine feet by like 10 or 11 feet mm-hmm. and I had a queen size bed. So my like, my little sanctum was mostly bed. <laughs> okay. And so it, yeah, I remember because I had that exact thought. I'm like, oh, the only place I have to myself is this. I can almost touch all the walls. Yeah. It was, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it, it was all right. Okay. Yeah. But it wasn't yes, like traumatizing. Please. Yes. So as, okay. as we start into that, I'm curious from a high level, like, when I think group house, I think like, um, I don't know, there's like quarter of the way houses is the joking way to put it. So there's like halfway houses re- rehabilitating from like jail or something mm-hmm. or like not having to go completely jail, but they stay there overnight. And that's like a state mandated thing. Oh, is that what that means? That's a halfway house. And then I made up quarter of the way house for places that are like, you can opt in. And like, I need like a place that's like drug free and I don't have a place to stay anymore. Can I live here? Um, and those places exist. So that's my only go to thing for a group house. I think a group house is more like just here's a house that a bunch of roommates are splitting up and they happen to be rationalists or rational adjacent. I think I'm the only one with that image then because I, I, I only had it tied to like more formal things with, you know, like names and businesses and all that stuff. Yeah, so. I think this is somewhat less formal. Cool. Um, so right. The group house is like a really large house with a bunch of bedrooms. Yeah, basically. Okay. So I was actually, I visited four different group houses. Nice. I was not like trying to do a tour of group houses. It's just that most of the people I was visiting happened to live in group houses. You were doing research for us. Kind Thank of. Thank you. Unintentionally, but yeah. So the one that had a name that I knew of was Liminal, which was my partner's formal house. Mm-hmm. Former. Uh, and then the other ones were just random places that belonged to my partner's other partners or friends that we were visiting. What is a group house? Uh, it's basically what it sounds like. Uh, the Bay Area is notoriously unaffordable. So people get around this by just cramming as many people as possible into single houses. And I saw some more reasonable and then some more crazy examples of this. Liminal seemed like a really reasonable example. 
Although later my partner was like, ah, but you didn't see the basement. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Did you, um, did you learn what that means? Because no, now I'm curious. I, <laughs> All right. It's a mystery for everybody. There's to some things fair, that I kind of like to just stay a mystery. Yeah. To be fair, basements aren't really part of the living area. I always consider the basement where you just throw your shit. I'm assuming this basement was. That's the point. Yeah. So <laughs> people might be down there. Yeah. So oh. I, I'm picturing like, I'm just imagining like a basement like yours about your size, like six people living in it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hammock slung from the corners <laughs> right yeah i lived in the basement of my parents house and it was actually pretty sweet it was like a finished basement and same cool. it, it was much better once i got a dehumidifier i'll say that mm. but uh yeah this house was like pretty it had like a nice like you know sizable community area and like the living room the kitchen was really nice and clean and well organized and everybody seemed to have everything labeled and there was a system which was like the kind of thing that i aspire towards if i'm going to live in a group house hell yeah then there were some other ones. <laughs> I don't want to name names. Uh, there's some areas where people were kind of just like, a bunch of people are kind of crammed in what would have been the living room, and they had kind of divided it up with like hanging curtains and like maybe some like strategically placed IKEA furniture that was now becoming like kind of a wall. Okay. <laughs> See, that's what to me sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like in a way, it was kind of like it's it's kind of a fort that you have built with your friends. Right. Which sounds like a fun way to spend a weekend. It's yeah. not a great place to <laughs> live, not, right? Like, I don't know how long term some people were in some of these uh, configurations, to be fair. Like some people actually were just like, you know, there for programming contract work and they're not necessarily going to stay there or like they're going to eventually move to it is a somewhere thing different, that can somewhere better. When prices get high enough. Like you've seen the pictures of Hong Kong when there's four people to like what would be too small for even a bedroom in the US, right? Oh, totally. And I don't know. I always think about, man, that'd be, I guess at that point, it's just a place to sleep. You couldn't, you literally couldn't live there. You'd sleep there and then you'd go out and have you the rest of your life somewhere else. And then that's the drag, right? You're just paying 800 bucks a month to like sleep somewhere. Yeah. You're making yeah. really good money in some of these jobs. Yeah. I mean, like it definitely uh, seemed to be worth it for some people. And again, I do think some people were kind of, yeah, just using this as a bed and maybe a kitchen. And you say that's a drag, but I mean, that depends on what you want. Some people don't want to like live isolated in a home. They want their life to be out among people doing things. And then like, okay, <laughs> here's a place I store my body while it recharges. Or to be working 80 hours a week. Or, well, okay, that, you know. <laughs> I think like, not to put too fine a point on it, but I totally agree. There's the kind of like lifestyle you want and the comfort level you have. I guess the difference is like, if, if my like at-home situation is like, all right, where am I going to have to go hide to go masturbate or do I just do it in public? <laughs> if, if, I, if, if I'm faced with that question, my home isn't what I want my home to be, right? Oh, that's true. So, yeah. I guess each home house would have to have a separate special room for sexing or something. Yeah. I should have used sex rather than masturbate, but the, the point stands, right? So. I think people I mean, were just... Sometimes you got to do that, too. I'll say that some of the houses, people were real comfy with each other. And mm -hmm. that, and that again, is something that you can opt into and is for it. But, like, if you're there trying to sleep and somebody gets off work at 2 and they share the room on the other side of the curtain from you and they want to bang their, their partner and it's, like, right, not even a wall to keep the noise apart, mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean, I... I know we're, I know well, we're, I know we're kind of... No, 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 field, I, I'm just like my first year at Burning Man, we were literally across the street from a sound camp. So I, I yeah, it, it, that kind of sucked, but you get used to like sleeping with earplugs and hearing things all the time. I guess it's like living in New York with your window open, right? You just, after a while, get used to the sound and it doesn't wake you up anymore. I actually really like the sound of New York at night. Like it kind of just all fades into white noise. Okay. Especially if we were on, when I said New York, I was on the sixth floor of a, like an apartment building, like not, I, I don't know, on 118th or something. So adjacent, all the action, but far enough, like, so it's never quiet, but it's mm -hmm. never, there wasn't tons of noise yeah i don't know i guess the specific sound of someone walking next to you and doing life stuff might be harder to tune out even with earplugs yeah that'd be a drag 
Anyway, so I know I keep getting far afield, but I don't have a lot to contribute about specific knowledge. So I'm I'm diving yeah. into things that aren't really they're only tangentially related from me being not I mean, having been there. Yeah. If nothing else, I'd love to try it out for a few months. You know. I was gonna say days, but all right. <laughs> you can't learn anything in a few days, man. I, well, yeah. you could go visit Berkeley and maybe crash with some people for like a week and a half. Right, right. No, no one would want to put me up for months at a time. A weekend. People stay. Yeah, I've had people stay like a week at my place before, but after that, it's like, okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I don't want to spend too long on this. Okay, uh, everybody has luminators. <laughs> yes you mentioned that it was that was actually really funny like not only every like rationalist house but also just like random cafes like it just seemed like a thing that had caught on maybe it wasn't even the rationality community but it's just like okay string lights maybe that's a thing every place had string lights is and that what illuminators are well um illuminator is a more specific thing but it ends up just being a whole bunch of leds that you string up on the ceiling so it simulates there being like a natural circadian rhythm light thing that's that's like kind of cool. Ten thousand watts of light, at least, right? Yeah, it's got to yeah. be a lot, and it does actually like it, it had a pretty significant effect, I think, on my mental state while I was out there. It was kind of raining the whole week I was there, and it was kind of gloomy, and I was like, oh yeah, like this reminds me of why I moved away from the East Coast, because like you'll just get like months of darkness and rain, mm. which isn't great, especially in the winter when there's not very much sunlight to be had anyway. Another wonderful thing about Colorado. Yeah, Colorado is three hundred days of sunlight. <laughs> Highly recommended. I wonder if you have seasonal effective. But did it affect your mental health in a good way or in a bad way you were saying? No, in a good way. It actually like I didn't feel as gloomy or like the the weird effects that I usually get from it being just raining for a week. Like it felt like I got like a little breath of fresh air when I was hanging out in a luminator area. Illuminated cool. apostrophe D. I gotta get a picture of what this looks like. I'm just picturing just lots of light. Right. It's basically so, so, just lots of light. Yeah. Did this or, bad did this kick off in, in rationalist group houses after inadequately equilibria where he describes that solution for I would imagine so. The we got sent a picture, I thought, on uh text or something, where it was just like a string of, of basically electrical not electrical, um what is it? String LEDs. of these. Yeah, like LED light bulbs, like you would just hook up into a lamp, right? Hanging, I don't know, twenty across a wall with a looped extension cord putting them all together there's the soil at lunch <laughs> yeah okay Every, everybody has a fridge full of soylent also <laughs> so if you want to find a group house in berkeley i didn't actually oh, it's too bright for me to see sorry i'm just looking at the <laughs> he's now. trying to find the pictures of illuminators i sent him oh there it is yeah. okay so yeah just to, okay for anyone else who couldn't get a good mental picture i could i could share some pictures what about this one in general. It's, it's pretty non um, that, that might be a good example of one. Yeah. I don't know. We could probably find some others. In any case, it's just, it is what that you guys said, utility. but not what I pictured. <laughs> so I'm going to describe it really quickly. It's connected to an extension cord and it's just a string of clips together, basically bare LED light bulbs. I was picturing like a strip. Yeah. Um, the, there's like some that are more like extensive than that one. That one's a bit more utilitarian. But, but uh, it's probably brighter too and it gets yeah, the job done. So a, definitely. Yeah. This is it during the day, but I imagine at night it would look exactly the same or it would look the reverse of the same. <laughs> it would be just a wall of light. So... Hmm. All right, cool. Thanks. I'm now I'm curiosity satiated. Thank you. Uh huh. The basically, I was uh, gonna say that if you want to find a group house, I wasn't able to find a list. And uh, if someone else knows if they want to share it in the comments, where you can actually like go online and try to find a list of group houses. I saw there was one on Rational Wiki, but it looks pretty out of date. The people that were hanging out at Reach, though, like it all seemed pretty open to just kind of talking about which group houses are like recruiting. Hmm. <laughs> there were some people that I understand people interviewed. Like, they, they go and, like, they do interviews to join the different houses. Well, yeah, you wouldn't want someone that you can't get along with yeah. living with you. Yeah. I suspect it's pretty similar to joining any other, like, group of roommates. Maybe there's a little bit more about, like, what kinds of projects are you working on. I know one of my uh, metamors has, like, a house of people that are specifically working on AI. 
and like trying to like do volunteer work for Miri or join Miri. So like, I think that whole house has got to be people that are like working on a specific set of values. Other places probably not. (laughs) Um, And then like, I have my list of like pros and cons, which I kind of just threw together about why you might want to move to Berkeley. Before you do that, um, what did you think about group houses before you went to Berkeley and how do you feel about them after? I was actually pretty like leaning towards wanting to start a group house in Denver. And I've been thinking about that for a while since I moved here. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is uh, having come from a situation where I was in New Jersey and I, I owned two different houses and I was a landlord at both of those houses. So I already have some background and experience with like wrangling people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think that I like living with people. It's weird as a socially anxious person, but also I also don't like being alone. Yeah. Um, and I like project management, and I think that, like, kind of tickles that itch or something. <laughs> I don't really know how to describe this, but I like to buy a house and split it up and then, like, rent it out to people. There's just something, like, really satisfying about that. Um, so I, I'm... So you're still thinking about doing yeah, that? Yeah, actually, this? like, I'm, I'm more encouraged to do it the more places that I saw this actually working out at. Sweet. I read, like, you know, conflicting things online about people who didn't didn't like the group house culture. There were people that said that it was like, oh, it's a bunch of weirdos and they're all poly and there's all kinds of drama. And then other people said that, like, this is my ideal living situation and I don't know why everybody doesn't live like this. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it kind of varies depending on who's in the house and what kind of living situation you tend to, like, gravitate towards as a person anyway. Pretty sure you could live in a group house and be poly and not have drama. I think so. The houses that I was in was group houses full of poly people that seemed pretty low drama to me. Yeah. I'm a no drama llama. Um... Why might you want to move to Berkeley? I can't talk. So the jobs, there's especially jobs in tech. Uh, I understand that there's companies comprised uh, of like primarily or entirely rationalists, or I guess EAs. Hmm. So if that's the sort of thing you're looking for, which was the thing some of the people who were hanging out at Reach were looking for. And it was a pretty good place to go network because I like, you know, was involved in conversations where people were like, oh yeah, this company's hiring. You know, th- these guys, I know they're looking for a programmer. So like if you're, you know, in programming or software engineering or some tech field oh uh, my partner also works for a tech company that's like completely rationalist and uh has said really good things about the work environment you know people being able to debias themselves like work on you know debugging things and it's just a great work environment is their job here in denver or they're working uh, they're remote yeah interesting yeah other cool things about berkeley there's a lot of stuff to do there not just like the less wrong community but like even in the less wrong community there's regular less wrong and ea meetups there's a Bayesian choir. Is that exactly what it sounds like? That is what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go to it. I saw it on like uh, the website. I'm picturing uh, BayRationality.com. Like, I'm just picturing like a, a choir of rationalists, not anything specifically. That's uh, what it is. Okay. <laughs> from, from what I can tell. There's uh, awesome. something called authentic relating and circling, which some people who are at Solstice talk to me about these. This is kind of like you sit in a circle and you just work on like social communication with people. Mm. I don't want to mischaracterize it, so I don't want to say more than that. But I heard a lot of people say that they got a lot of positive value out of that, with working on uh, just like social skills and getting to know people better in a way that was really like conducive to having real conversations. Cool. Interesting. What's the goth scene like there? Or I, do you know? I didn't, I don't know. Um, I like met some goths incidentally. I didn't go to any clubs or anything like that. I imagine it's probably pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of like people in really cool street fashion just walking around. Awesome. There's uh, CFAR workshops. Um, there's a lot of CFAR alumni events. I really want to go to CFAR. I haven't done that yet. I have a fr- some friends that went before and they all really recommend it. Yeah, I've been wanting to go for a while. And uh, there's lots of other fun things for nerds to do in the Bay. 
uh, I went to, I like blanking on the name of it, but there was this biotech makerspace where we were messing around with this automated pipetting robot uh, that was like a, a big CNC with a, a pipette like syringe. And, Wait, what's a CNC? Um, like this, a CNC router where it kind of like operates on the X and Y axis. Oh, okay. So like it's got a little arm that slides around and they were trying to use it to pipette different, I think, um, algae and like make art with it. <laughs> Huh. By having it just kind of like place little bits of, uh, you know, algae and then have it grow. But uh, they were still like pretty early on and just trying to like program it and get it to function correctly. It was pretty cool. There was another room where people were working on DNA sequencing kombucha. <laughs> Man, I, I, if I can remember the name of this place, I know I wrote it down somewhere. I'll put it in the show notes. But like, yeah, there's lots of like cool, you know, nerd tech stuff to do. That's a hell that's of a hobby. not even necessarily less strong related. Hmm. Um, the... There's a pretty good public transit, uh, the BART system. <laughs> Some people rolled their eyes about this when I was saying that, but, you know, compared to Denver's RTD and the, like, nothing that is in New Jersey, it seemed pretty good to me. It's also really bikeable. Uh, I was just using, like, an electric bike from bike shares the time we were there, and also, like, walkable in some places. Getting around in a car was also fine. It seemed like, I don't know, I've driven in a lot of cities, including New York and Philadelphia and, uh, and Boston, which was, like, the worst uh, mm. the bay was pretty easy to get around. And, uh, I would say the climate is good for, like, a certain definition of good. It's, uh, humid. It's by, you know, by the bay. But it's basically just mild and nice all year long, right? Yeah, definitely. Between like between 60 and 85? I, I feel like you just don't need a coat. Yeah. Um, I did because I get cold all the time, but I brought a very light jacket and I was fine. Mostly with not wearing it. It did rain. If you don't like rain and it being cloudy, then, like, maybe it's not for you. There was lots of green stuff, which was really nice having come from Colorado winter where everything's kind of dead and gray right now. It was like, oh yeah, there's trees and plants and flowers. <laughs> and even during the summer, I mean, we're a semi-arid state, there's not that much green. I've been to like really green places like Michigan and Seattle, and it's just so fucking beautiful. That's what it's like, I think, just lower altitude and a little better climate. That's how but it was in Iowa too. But here, there, you get like that two months of awesome green where you can look at the mountains and see lots of green patches. Yeah. And then it gets too hot and it yeah. all dies. So, yeah. But then you got to live with lots of, I'm assuming, clouds and rain as well, right? To keep all that green stuff alive? I'm assuming so. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a, not a climate person. Yeah, it's you know, like the trade-off, I guess. We got we to gotta get rid of all clouds and just install subterranean sprinklers throughout the world. <laughs> just have it all be hydroponics floating yeah. around in, <laughs> in the vertical gardens. Um, yeah, so good climate, if that sounds like a good climate to you. <laughs> I found it to be pretty tolerable. I don't like the cold, so that was well, one of the reasons I was there. I was like, I like green things. I like it being warm. And you have the ocean right there. The ocean is nice. I did miss the ocean. And also pretty liberal, pretty queer positive. I mean, it's San Francisco. One of the most liberals. Yes. In the (laughs) world. (laughs) I will say that there's a, I was like hanging out with a lot of trans people. There's a good like queer trans community. Apparently it's really easy to get hormones. California is great. Like they will just, if you, you know, say, Hey, I'm transitioning. They'll be like, here's your hormones. (laughs) So in another context, that sounds terrible. It's really easy to get hormones there. It's uh, like, what do you mean? Like if it's, I'm making a joke about like, it sounds like they're putting too much hormones in the food or something. So like, it's really uh, easy to get lots of hormones. Yeah. Well, that's kind of funny because there's also the weird California laws about everything causing cancer being flammable. (laughs) Yes. I've heard about that. Uh, It's like every product you buy has like the state of California recognizes this to be toxic. Mm -hmm. Which we, I think we mentioned maybe not California by name, but in that issue of over, over labeling, labeling. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. If everything causes, if, if my water bottle says this can cause cancer, then why am I going to, why am I going to be worried about my pack of cigarettes? Right. Right. The labels stop meaning anything. Yeah. yeah. 
So anyway, like, it would be a cool place to go find community if you're trans or LGBT, or if you're liberal, uh, it might be a harder culture to fit into if you're a conservative person. The downsides, um, obviously, besides the housing situation, uh, there was, I heard several people mention this and kind of saw it firsthand, there's a, like, busyness culture. What culture? So, like, everybody's always doing stuff all the time, and that seems to be the part of the culture there. Oh. There's, like, people work pretty hard, there's also just a ton of social events, and... It seems like there's kind of like a stigma against not always doing something all the time. That answers the question I was going to ask. Yeah. What so was like, that? I was going to ask if, if there was a if there was a perceived stigma or, or lack of appreciation for like, what did you do this weekend? Nothing, man. Stay at home and play video games all day. It was awesome. And they'd be like, oh, I went to like three meetups. And I, <laughs> and I uh, you know, so like there is sort of a bit of a vibe there. Where people, I don't know. Yeah. There was like, I, I got invited to too much stuff to do there to the point where it was like I was getting really kind of stressed out. <laughs> I'm a guy who likes his downtime. Yeah. I, I mean, I like doing stuff, but I like doing it sporadically, mm. a couple, three times a month. I can't imagine that pressure. Like, I, and I, I've worked with people like that. They go out every night. They, they're always out doing stuff on the weekends. Yeah. But I have my time to recharge. That's when I go home and yeah. do I, my thing. I got to decompress a little. Like, I can be pretty social for a while, but I definitely need to, like, have some downtime or I'll get irritable. Yeah. Um, there's also a skewed gender ratio. I heard a couple of other people complaining about this because of, you know, the tech scene. Uh, there's many more males that live there than females. And, uh, so if you're, you know, a cis straight guy looking for a female partner, you might have a harder time finding that. I heard it's like the opposite of New York. Yeah. That's what actually specifically somebody was saying. They were considering moving to New York so they could find a partner (laughs) because they'd been in Berkeley for a while and just like had no success dating. There's weird hills. Weird hills? (laughs) There's like, everything is like at like a 45 degree slant. It's kind of funny. (laughs) Sounds really cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. If you have some kind of like disability or like have a hard time getting around, it might be not optimal. That's something I noticed in New York too. I only visited a couple times, but... I don't, I don't, I'm sorry to keep digressing with things that aren't related to Berkeley, but I've never been, so uh-huh. I'm just, like, making this more conversational. Related um, to something that you know. Yeah. So, New York definitely had, well, I don't know what I'd call it, business culture, because there's, that definition sounds good for that, but there's this vibe that everyone's got a schedule and they're all doing something. Yeah. I would, I, and, having been to New York and known people that live there, I'd say, like, Berkeley's more of, like, almost a work hard and party hard culture new york's more of a like <laughs> work hard and network hard culture or like I'm, I'm busy get out of my way yeah. kind of thing which is fine i never got like the whole new yorkers are rude thing it's just like they're they're less tolerant of you doing bullshit like trying to get onto the train people are, before people have disembarked like they'll they'll move you if you're if you're going to do that which is i think fair that's mm-hmm. insane <laughs> make room on the train then let people get on but anyway i remember i was sitting uh rachel was at class and so i was ha- hanging out at some pizzeria or coffee shop and there's this old woman with a walker going up kind of like, you know, a weird, a, a relatively flat hill. This well, is not, in New York? Yeah, New York. And it was going up a hill, but it was like, I could tell, like, she wasn't just meandering like people do here. She was like, oh, it's, it's 11.15, I got to be there at 11.30. And she was, <laughs> you know, moving at 1.8 miles an hour and she was going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just the, I, I, that was when I had that epiphany. I was like, oh, everybody's doing that. That's what's different here. Everyone's, no one's wandering around. And if they mm-hmm. are, they stand out like a sore thumb. People yep. who live there, they're on a schedule. They've got something to do, so. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty, like, that matches with what I've seen having been to New York a lot. Right on. Sorry, it doesn't match to Berkeley, but... <laughs> no, it's kind of... It's cool exploring the different kind of cultures and norms of different cities. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to visit. I love seeing how things work in different places. Japan had much that same vibe of New York. Yeah. I hear it's a thing that uh, the more uh, dense places are, population dense, the faster they tend to go. Like, to the point where you can make a reasonable estimate of how uh, how big a city is based on taking the average walking speed of someone. 
That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, you just get the average walking speed of most people there, and you're like, okay, this city probably has about 500,000 people. And like, okay, this city is probably about 9 million people, you know? I don't know, Denver's got like a million, and we're slow as fuck Well, I was going to say, so. that kind of fits with my experience, because Denver is big, but it's also dispersed. Yeah. That's fair, yeah. There's a lot of open space here compared to like the East Coast, where everything's crammed much closer together. Yeah, and maybe downtown isn't a good representative sample of that sort of environment, because there's, there's a lot of people just there hanging out, so... Um, anyway, so more. There's also legal weed here, so <laughs> <laughs> that too slows people down. A that little. slows people down. <laughs> um, yeah, let's see. Other downsides to Berkeley: there's uh, the allergens, especially mold. Also, everything catches on fire sometimes, which was the original <laughs> reason that my partner moved away from Berkeley because everything was on fire for a while. All of their stuff, or just the state? Just like at the state. Okay. <laughs> but remember those pictures of like sky being brown Ooh. and people having to have respirators yeah there, there's oh, yeah. people that like have just gas masks like yeah little respirators that like that's just a normal thing like oh yeah in case everything catches on fire and you got to pay a premium to live there yep. all right and there's uh there's plenty of tech jobs but if that's not your field you might have a harder time making a good enough living to afford it there so you know pros and cons that's kind of all i had to say about that unless y'all had any more questions were you recognized by anyone um one person cool. <laughs> i did actually like put throw up a little uh message on the subreddit before leaving but i don't know how many people saw but i was just randomly recognized at somebody's house that was like hey i know your voice (laughs) (laughs) that's so fun yeah i guess i can use one person's name shout out to kara sweet that really kind of made my trip cool Cool. so kara listens kara's an actual human who listens to the podcast (laughs) just one of them all right high five (laughs) you know she's doing an air high five (laughs) 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 he high fived himself (laughs) (laughs) it's very important to me (laughs) I wasn't close enough. You just sat there. Mm. <laughs> oh, I thought you were trying to high five like the listener in imaginary space. Oh, no, I was trying to high five you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I misunderstood that entirely. Okay. High five to the listener too, though. Cool. All righty. All right. So unless y'all have any more questions, uh, we should talk about less wrong posts. We got that last little section here that I think is interesting about starting your own local uh, group house. Oh, uh, yeah. I didn't really this fill for, this out. <laughs> we'll save it for a bigger thing yeah. next time. The one thing that I do think, you had a, a bullet point in here about look up laws in your area. Maybe it's just Fort Collins, but I think, is it Colorado U plus two? Is that the rule? Or is that just Fort Collins? I don't know what you're talking about. So they've, they've got a, and it's maybe a hard law, maybe it's a guideline, but they are, they, there are people who enforce it fairly strictly because it's a college town. So like there's a big problem with people trying to usurp the inflated pricing of, of renting there uh-huh. by doing kind of a group home idea where it's like, hey, it's a three-bedroom. We can fit six in here. Mm-hmm. Um, but they... they Two-people bedroom? Huh? Two-people per bedroom? Right, yeah. yeah. I can see that. But they, they're they pretty tough about um, if, if it's you and two unrelated people. More than that, you can't have that in a house. Oh, yeah. There are places with stupid laws like that. I remember there was uh, this, this whole legal battle about a poly family... That were, I think, five adults and seven kids or oh, something. Oh, yeah. I think and I heard about that. And they got kicked out of their house because they weren't related enough for some shit. I think I heard about that from you. Yeah. Okay. They, they talked about that on the poly, on the poly episode okay, way okay. back when. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember what, even what state that was in. But I, I imagine that might have been more motivated against their lifestyle or something. than it, Although it could be just, you know, maybe they leaned back on the stupid laws. But yeah. yeah. I, I but doubt... it's still a stupid bullshit law. Yeah. I mean, if they were all like grandparents and aunts and uncles and, and nephews, they could live there, but not if you're not related? What the fuck is that? And I think that's weird. Like, that. I think any any law... Well, I'll have to think of some counterexamples. But 
blanketly where if you have to if you have to pass a DNA test for like the law not to apply to you or to apply to you, that sounds yeah. like a weird law, right? Yeah, yeah. So I wonder how they enforce that. Like, do they actually make you get a DNA test? I mean, I guess they look at your ID <laughs> or whatever, but like, can't you just be like, this is my brother and my other brother? <laughs> in, in college towns, they enforce it. I mean, they, they profile houses. Uh, it's common for, you know, poor college kids for some stupid reason, which I did, to use tie-dye blankets as, as curtains instead of <laughs> curtains. <laughs> So they could drive by and be like, oh, college house. Yeah. Well, because it's cheap. Yeah. And it looked cool. And when you're, you know, 19, you don't care. probably where some of the stigma comes from with like, you know, a bunch of like teenagers or 20-somethings trashing a place and lowering the property values of their neighbors. But that's a whole thing. I've raised the property value with that shitty apartment. But I see the point. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew people who lived, who they did five or six guys in a house and they were all unrelated and they definitely lowered the property value of that place. Right. So it happens. Okay. But yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, that was You're really welcome. cool. That was I'd, really interesting, and I hope to go visit too someday. All of my long digressions about things that weren't related to it weren't because I wasn't interested, just because I didn't have anything like to add about it. But yeah, that no, sounds... I, I think it's fine. I get anxious if I'm the only one talking for a long <laughs> period of time. And that's how conversations work anyway, right? Yeah. You throw in your own related experience. But it definitely... It, it amped up both of my, my like excitement to visit the area and my trepidation about <laughs> staying there, actually. <laughs> like, I, I, I would have to find... I'd probably just stay in a hotel. Like, I can't imagine. I mean, unless there was a, a... If I didn't have a bedroom with a door, I couldn't I couldn't handle it. I mean, Rich has bedrooms with doors. You just might be sharing it with, like, one other person? If I didn't have a bedroom. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I guess... If it was, I mean, so when I stayed in Japan, we stayed at Airbnbs, and those are three people that I knew. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess one that I knew, and I trusted his judgment of the other two people that were there. Um, and I got to know them, but it was... I can't, I mean, and I know I'm probably not sleeping next to somebody who's going to rob me or something, <laughs> but my inner ape doesn't know that. It's, it's just like a like, high trust culture, I would say. People kind of just were leaving their laptops and cell phones and shut around. Totally. Like. <laughs> no, no, and I, I have no, it's not like an intellectual, like, under, like a, a thought out concern of mine, like, oh, I should be worried about my stuff. It's just like, this is, this is my space, but no, I guess, I guess we're sharing it now. Okay, yeah. When's it my turn to use the bathroom? Like, no, nah, screw all that stuff. Didn't you, you guys all stayed in the same rooms when you were in hotels in Japan, right? We were in Airbnbs, yeah, and we were all in the same, so there was rooms there are like rooms like in china or berkeley it sounds like where i mean one of them it, but there was, was like it, was it okay sleeping in the same room as other people there it was fine for a vacation okay okay i i couldn't live like that i don't think I well mean, you can visit berkeley as a vacation exactly yeah that's what i'm saying so it sounds fun but i, I don't think i could do a two-month stint out there it would be a weekend and see how it goes or a yeah. few days that Ooh, sounds fun maybe we could do a live broadcast from berkeley all right. That would be pretty fun. Yeah. Especially if we lined it up with like the summer solstice event or you know something cool going on there. Mm-hmm. This is the nerdiest idea I've had probably this year. Uh, we could do a recording at Reach as like a coordinated event Ooh. and yeah. do audience interaction stuff. Oh, that would be sweet. And get all two people to show up. That'd be fun. <laughs> I, I could get more than two. Cool. At least three people would show up. <laughs> well, the three of us. Would show up. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That sounds fun. Cool. Yeah, we can dive on to the... Let's um, posts. Sounds good. All right. On that note, while we're transitioning, after our last recording, I went back and Brian Dunning was doing like a live um, Skeptoid chat with like listeners or with, uh, supporters. So it was, oh, it was limited. And it was on YouTube and people could do comments and he'd respond to those. And that was the whole point. And he did that for like two or three hours. I thought that'd be a lot of fun. Do you have any inclination to do that? That would be really fun. Yeah. Okay. Because I think that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I would idea. dig that. And then we can decide if we want to do it for everybody for the first one or just for patrons for the first one. I think patrons only would be great, but we have only, what, a few dozen, and I bet their time zones don't match up with ours, so we might, mm-hmm. we might be there with six or seven people, but that sounds fine. Yeah, we that can sounds good to you guys. see how much interest there is, too, and try to coordinate mm-hmm. a time that works for most people. Do you want me to plug that into the episode before we move on to the 
Uh, yes. Less wrong Should chat? we like maybe do some kind of a date first? Or? I'm just thinking we can float the idea and we can. Yeah. yeah we, okay. Yeah. So yeah. Let, let's let's foster interest. Or do you want to leave all that 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 chat in and people can hear about it, or should we make it more? We organized. can leave this chat in. All right. This can be the advertisement. That's right. So that was our really fun advertisement for <laughs> this is something I want to do too. I think that'd be a lot of fun and we could all gather around a webcam or maybe we could even do individual webcams at home <laughs> or something. And oh then, God, then they're going to have to see our faces. Yeah, exactly. Oh no. That Well, that's that's part of the fun. <laughs> all right. Yeah. We got to wait until after I've finished the, my renovations and I get a haircut though. <laughs> <laughs> I think your hair looks great. I noticed it when I walked in and I almost never noticed hair. I noticed yours too and it looks great. So. Thank you. Maybe it's just hanging out with Rachel and her hair. She... I can't leave the house with Rachel without her getting compliments, mm. which is great. I'm ha- yeah. I love it. I'm, I'm stoked for her. Stephen, your hair's cool too. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. I got a haircut today. And it's not what I was going for, but I don't know what I was going for. So. It looks entirely I le- fine. I left yeah. unhappy, but well, not Aww. unhappy. I left less than perfectly satisfied. Okay. I don't really care though. I, yeah. I, I like. I can almost never. I can almost never see it, so I don't really care. As long as it's just, <laughs> as long as, as long as it's not t- touching my face and tickling my ears. Anyway, yeah. So I think it'd be fun to do a audience live chat one night in the next couple months or something we'll find a date and set something up but this is the pitch to get you know feedback who's interested whatever so we'll also post something on the subreddit to say who wants to do this when can you come yeah yeah i'm still not sure right now if we want to do patrons only for the first one or not i feel like we should i think so too i want to reward the patrons yeah this will be anything for anyone who's ever given a buck then you guys are all we'll find we'll put a link on the on the website and that'll be the link to access yeah yeah and then what we can do too is we can just record it. No, and no, release no, we should it put later. a link on Patreon, and anyone who's a patron can get to the link, whereas people who aren't patrons can't. That's what I meant. Oh, okay. You said the website. Oh, I meant the Patreon yeah. website. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that'll happen at some point. Cool. All right. All righty. Our first less wrong post today is called inductive bias, and I really like this one because it kind of explained um, how learning works, <laughs> <laughs> which I was not expecting to run into. And I didn't remember this post at all, which is weird. But on the other hand, it's also been like 12 years, so maybe it's not that weird. But okay, so it starts out with a, a, a quick mention that if you'd never seen a swan before and you see a white swan, you might assume all swans are white, right? If you're dumb. I don't know, not necessarily. I, I generally have a, a bias that if I've never seen a creature before and I see one and I know it's like a type of creature, someone tells me this is a creature called an X, I'm going to assume all other ones look pretty similar to it. I guess I'm too far in it now where I'd be like, that one looks like that. You know? Okay. So, like if you saw a beagle, you wouldn't assume that, okay, that's a beagle. I guess most of them kind of got that coloration in the floppy ears. I wouldn't say all dogs look like that. Well, I guess no, no, I, I, no. I'm not trying to but ruin swans the swans aren't the point. all birds. They're yeah, swans. that's fair. So, what color is Bulbasaur? Green? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Did I miss something? <laughs> what if there's some Bulbasaurs that aren't green? Oh, because they're shiny Bulbasaurs. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Fair point. So I, I, I guess the point that he's making though that in the next sentence is that this is how a narrowly defined learning system might work. Yeah. But it has the implicit prior of all of them are the same. Right. Right. And or, or there could be one that you tell it there's a white swan that's great doesn't make any assumptions at all, which also isn't is the same as like not learning anything about swans then yeah, yeah. okay cool so yeah. uh it goes on to the more um okay more in-depth case of consider a case of an urn filled with red and white balls from which we are to sample without replacement. I might have prior info that the urn contains five red and five white balls. Or I might have prior info that a random number was selected between 0 and 1, and this number was then used as a fixed probability to independently generate a series of 10 balls. In either case, I will estimate 50% probability that the first ball is red, 50% probability that the second ball is red, etc., which you might foolishly think indicated the same prior belief. But, while the marginal probabilities on each round are equivalent, the probabilities over sequences are different. In the first one, if I see three red balls initially, 
I'll estimate a probability of 2 out of 7 that the next ball will be red. In the second case, if I see 3 balls initially, I will estimate a 4 fifths chance that the next ball will be red. Uh, because he doesn't say this, but I'm assuming we're all supposed to infer that that means there was probably a very high number close to 1 deciding, you know, the, the percentage of red balls in there. If you've pulled out three red balls in a row, that's a good indication it's probably most of the balls are red. In both cases, we refine our future guesses based on past data, but in opposite directions, which demonstrates the importance of prior information, which um, I'd never really considered before, but really puts into perspective how important it is the prior information you have when you're learning things. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, then <laughs> I've says, been talking for a while. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. Suppose that your prior info about the urn is that a monkey tosses balls into the urn, selecting red balls with one quarter probability and white balls with three quarter probability. Each ball selected independently. The urn contained balls. The urn contains ten balls, and we sample without replacement. Suppose that the first three you see are red. What is the probability of seeing a red ball on the fourth round? And now he gets into this cool math, which is, this is immediately where my brain went too, right? I'm like, okay, how, how am I going to figure this shit out? So like last episode, you were like, oh, I don't think I want to do the next one. It's got too much math. And it's got <laughs> <laughs> now you're all excited about it. Well, because the previous, the, the previous one I thought was like a type of math that I couldn't easily, intuitively wrap my head around. Whereas this one, I saw the math and like right away, I was like, okay, I know how <laughs> I could do this with just given enough time and, and paper. But I didn't have to because he wrote it out in the very next paragraph, which was very nice. First, we calculated the prior probability that monkey caused, tossed zero red balls, ten white balls, then the probability that tossed one red ball and nine white balls, and so forth. Then we take our evidence, three red balls without replacement, calculate the likelihood of seeing that evidence, and update and normalize the posterior probability, and so forth. And uh, after lots of frantic scribbling for quite some time, we get the answer of one-fourth. I was like, okay, cool. And then the next paragraph is, of course it's one-fourth. We specified that each ball was independently tossed into the urn with a known one-quarter probability of being red. Imagine that the monkey is tossing the balls to you one by one. If it tossed you a red ball on one round, that doesn't change the probability that it tosses you a red ball on the next round. When we withdrew the ball from the urn, it doesn't tell us anything about the other balls in the urn. Which, I would not have thought that intuitively, but when you just make the example that the urn is just a time delay device and having the monkey throw them to you directly would have the exact same effect i was like oh oh and so he makes he thus says if you start out with a maximum entry entropy prior you never learn anything ever no matter how much evidence you observe so that sounds important enough to belabor for a second mm -hmm. yeah so a maximum entropy prior would be something like I don't know if you had a die, but you didn't know what the what the numbers on the sides were, and you said, "I have absolutely no clue." Um, that sounds like a maximum entropy prior, right? Yeah, I was having and a yet, hard time. Uh... I would still be. Able, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say I'd still be able to learn by as watching them, them grow. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, I'm, there's at least one three, there's at least one one, etc. So what would even what would a maximum entry prior even look like? Well, a maximum entry prior could be like the monkey will toss me a red ball one quarter of the time. Well, uh, I, I was having a hard time understanding what was meant by maximum entropy prior to. If you go down in the comments, Eliezer actually clarifies because someone else asked that question. Mm -hmm. Think of physical matter in a state of very high thermodynamic entropy, such as a black hole or a radiation bath. A heat bath doesn't learn from observation, right? There's not enough order present to carry out operations of observation or learning. Only highly ordered matter like brains can extract information from the environment. So that actually like cleared that up for me. Okay. <laughs> Like, you're, there's not even a brain in this scenario. Right. This is, like, 
a kind of environment where a brain just could not develop because there's too much chaos. Cool. Okay. That helps. That was that was the non-intuitive part of this post for me. So. Yeah, same. Um, so he says inductive biases can be probabilistically correct or probabilistically incorrect. And if they are correct, it is good to have as many of them as possible. And if they are incorrect, you are left worse than if you had no inductive bias at all. Which is to say that inductive biases are like any other kind of belief. The true ones are good for you, the bad ones are worse than nothing. In contrast, statistical bias is always bad, period. You can trade it off against other ills, but it's never a good thing for itself. Statistical bias is a systemic direction in errors. Inductive bias is a systemic direction in belief revision. Which is to say, all learning is induction. And all induction takes place through inductive bias. There's one last thing. Which in... I thought... Oh, go oh, ahead. No, no, please. Well, which I... That... that... I'd never heard learning put in quite that way before, but I mean, that's basically what learning is, right? It's seeing data mounting over and over and inducting, deducing from that data what the pattern is behind it or what, what you can figure out from it. And you have to have a bias in some direction. Like if you see an animal, there's some bias that the same type of animal will have something in common with that animal, right? Totally. If, if you have no bias at all, like there's a white swan. The next one I see could have seven legs and breathe fire. I don't know. I cannot assume anything from the swan I've seen before. And then you know, fuck all about <laughs> swans. And then no matter how many more swans you see, if you're not updating, mm. then yeah, everything stays crazy like that. Well, even if you are updating, it doesn't matter. Just because one swan is white, white and has wings doesn't mean that the other swan doesn't have teeth and be green. That's, that's what I meant. Yeah, if you're not if you're not updating with inductive. Uh, conclusion sort of bias yeah. yeah yeah so like the bias in this case is that similar animals will be similar yeah, yeah i like the word like you know uh, updating based on your priors rather than the word bias uh actually like i was kind of confused by this one for a bit until i like read it a couple times the reason that uh this was posted on less wrong was apparently to help people who were confused by the use of the word bias for inductive bias which isn't the same as cognitive bias which people were confusing it from yeah, he even asks. He even answers that at the last, at the end. It was like, yeah. why is this called? Why is this called a bias? Then it's like, fuck yeah, if well, I know. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I didn't name it. That's why. <laughs> so, like in a nutshell, uh, not to be confused with cognitive bias. Inductive bias is the set of assumptions a learner uses to predict outputs given inputs that it has not encountered before. Inductive bias is also used in machine learning to construct algorithms that can learn to predict a certain target output by updating based on past data. Which uh, kind of yeah, that that sums up the whole article. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. It is. So your priors are really important. Not just your prior probabilities, but your your prior inductive biases. <laughs> well, it's kind of the same. Yeah. Next post. Yeah. Our next post is futuristic predictions as consumable goods. And this post was literally three paragraphs long. <laughs> so yeah. we decided to do three instead of two. Yeah, but. we were going to just do two posts. So there were only two mentioned in the last episode, but we're doing three because we were able to summarize this entire thing and all the time that it took to read it. So Right. Yeah. Does someone else want to do the honors? I can do it. So this uh, post was talking about the Wikipedia entry on Friedman units, which tracks over 30 different cases between 2003 and 2007 in which someone labeled the next six months as the critical period in Iraq. Apparently, one of the worst offenders is the journalist Thomas Friedman, after whom the unit was named, who made eight different uh, versions of this prediction in four years. Which, if you're saying every six months, is the entirety of the yes. four years. <laughs> yeah. so, can I also interject really quickly to say, holy shit, we, we were in Iraq back in 2003. We're still in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, dealing with all this... 9-11 fallout and that's fucking depressing as hell I, wasn't I, mission accomplished in like 2002 i remember yeah, that band yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i just i can't 
Well, it, you know. it, it only struck me now because these these sequences came out so long ago for me that they're like at this point they're basically part of my mental architecture but the war didn't seem to be in the deep past like that as it is and has reached into today i mean you can think of it this way there are people who are voting now who weren't alive when uh, you know on september 11th 2001 right yeah. so i think what just means we're old <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well don't worry uh next six months will be <laughs> the critical period yes <laughs> Um, Although I just quick quick caveat there, so I I, I guess I didn't I, read, I didn't read the Wikipedia entry, which I should. Um, maybe that had clarified this, but that wouldn't necessarily be an incorrect statement to say that every six months. You know, the, the next six months could be the most critical right, every time. Right, but if you keep saying it, that kind of means you know nothing. It could mean that, that they're most critical so far, but that's not the prediction. They could say this is this is the most important six months. Yeah, there. yeah. This is this is going to determine the outcome the next six months yeah it's like how you keep uh, hearing you know we're going to have nanotech in the next five to ten years or well, this only this sounds like way less specific and therefore like less unreasonable but i totally hear you mm-hmm. yeah and he, he brings it on with better example I, to me what are better examples of that sort of faulty mass predicting stuff yeah yeah so the article then asks why do futurists make the same mistake in predictions over and over like for example everything in ai taking three to five years mm-hmm and answers the same reason politicians abandon and switch their campaign promises all the time. Predictions like promises are sold today and consumed today. There's calculated to stir up excitement now, either positive or negative, probably mostly negative. Well, I don't know. I guess there's like, you know, the singularity. Uh, and then people won't remember those predictions in three to five years. And by then they'll have something new and shiny to be hyped about. Mm-hmm. So there's not really any downside. Uh, Eliezer says these futurists probably aren't even doing this deliberately. They probably don't remember their own past predictions either. Do you guys think that's correct? I think it depends on the predictor. Like, I I remember, I liked uh, Michio Kaku uh, back when I had cable, and he was one of the guys on Science Channels. You did? Uh, <laughs> well, a bit until I like I, I would watch him give really specific predictions about yeah in 2032 we're all gonna have fully interactive wallpaper and it's gonna have these 11 <laughs> features and. Uh, like so, the more caveats he added on, added onto it, he didn't sound the least bit uncertain about how many specific things there were going to be. No, you would be like, yeah, this is going to happen. Like they made a whole, didn't they make a whole uh, show where it was like the future of physics or something, and it was just like him wildly speculating and them kind of three D modeling it. That might have been when he and I had our falling out. <laughs> yeah. Although he doesn't know about it, he was less affected. <laughs> but the. I, I I liked him as a science communicator. I mean, uh, but it was it was at the see, point. See, I didn't either because the. The thing I remember him doing was, like, going out of his field and just talking about, like, other random, like, you know, fields that were not his specialty and getting stuff wrong. That seems to be a downside of every sci- most every science communicator. There are there are a handful that I, I guess... I, I think I, he was particularly egregious. Yeah. Or maybe, like, the, you know, popular media at the time just especially liked to tear him apart for it. Tyson does that, too, which is a drag. Well, I um, think... But, Tyson, but I think the difference is that Tyson, in my limited experience, I haven't seen either of them on TV in a long time. I don't know. He would sound more sure, which made me think he knew more of what he was talking about, which I'm sure there's a bias in there somewhere that has a name. Because they get rewarded for it. This is what the media goes to them for. And so that's what they provide. It's literally the same thing as here. This is what the the audience wants. The tastiest predictions are allegedly in this time interval, depending on what the subject is. And so the futurists produce tasty predictions for that time interval. Yeah. Otherwise, they they will be replaced by futurists who will do that. They wouldn't ask him back on if if they had said, hey, what's going to come in the next 15 years? And he's like, I don't know. Nobody does. It's like, all right, well, (laughs) that doesn't sell commercial time. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Well, I still, I don't know. I I think this is bad, and I would like that we could, like, stop doing this. (laughs) I would love that. I'm getting tired, so I can't form words that well, but... uh... Yeah, no, I, I, I... 
hear you and i would also like that to stop but that's kind of a malachian problem there yeah well like the main drawback that i've seen is that like now there's you know my, my dad's kind of like anti-science and by kind of i mean he's like a global warming denialist and Oof. thinks that doctors are scams but uh you know, like, he and other people that I know have those kinds of views are like, oh, yeah, well, what happened when doctors were saying that, like, salt was bad for you, and now salt's good for you, and fat's good, and fat's bad? They don't know anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, things like, you know, they're saying that they predicted this, and that didn't come true. It, it's a bad track record, and it makes, like, the field of science look bad. Like, we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, it's a drag to get into those. I mean, I had one of those, I think I brought this up before on the show, but my short retort to that is always, like, we could be having this conversation at the speed of sound, six miles above the surface of the Earth, and one of us could be, you know, going one way, the other one could be going the other, and we could be communicating at basically the speed of light. You're telling me scientists don't know anything? <laughs> and, like, the fact that we could be, you know, talking to each other on our laptops in different planes on other sides of the planet, mm. you know, you, so for them, I, I, those are the people, this is mainly like the, the full, like, science denial, religious found, foundation where they're going to say nothing here is certain or whatever. It's like some things are. Mm-hmm. planes wouldn't fly if we didn't we had literally no idea what we were yeah. doing right well it's not like science has no track record that we can point to so i, I get your point there <laughs> but yeah so i mean that's my comeback to those people but so they'll just point to whatever specific thing it is that they want to challenge whether it's like evolution or vaccines or yeah. uh some intervention or some other then they'll say well look at all these 10 th- the best case example of this is the it's always sunny in philadelphia episode mm-hmm. where they're trying to prove they had a, a court case in their little bar for some altercation that they had which is hilarious um but one of them makes this long tangent case of how science makes people look like a bitch sometimes because it's because they're they're wrong throughout history mm. and uh it was that was the best example of this sort of thing where they can just say no no it's right for all these things that we're all we all agree on but when i want to disagree i'll point all these things i disagree that sci- that i'll point all these times that science is wrong about stuff you know okay. remember when they're heliocentrists um <laughs> right. so yeah well uh Some people in the comments were suggesting making authors list what would count as a failure for their predictions, and then in their newer papers they should have to list their past failures so they can improve or calibrate their predictions. And that's actually taken off in the rationalist community. There's a number of people, I mean most prominently Scott Alexander, that make yearly predictions, give their uh, probability estimates for them, and the next year will follow up with, you know, here's how I did. Yeah, but that was like a new year's tradition in my philly restaurant group it's pretty cool we tried that at ours and then never really got back (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a bit time intensive i I like that um a lot of articles are like prefacing them now with their like epistemic status too yeah (laughs) like uh yeah and then like you know there's the what was the uh not collaborations but the opposite of them too adversarial collaboration yeah yeah so like i I feel like uh rationality is kind of a cool antidote to this thing that like the popular media does of just promoting like science communicators and just like very early things as this could be a cure for cancer yeah, yeah we're oh, so- this new thing could be aliens right yeah, locally we're solving some of these problems which is fun because 12 years ago we weren't and i think in mm-hmm. the post he says like you know what is what was like your predictions that went wrong he, I can't, we don't pull out the quote but it was something along those lines mm-hmm. so it was nice to see you know that people do can do that now like oh yeah well in 2011 i thought this and i was right about 60 percent of them or something right so yeah. we've actually integrated this into our lifestyles yeah at least somewhat Oh yeah, what it was. Uh, it post ends, and I bet you can't remember what you predicted for one year from now. Hmm. So yeah, some some of us are keeping track. Not hmm. me. I should be doing that better. Yeah, I know a bunch of people that log their predictions on things, or like that actually make bets. I was trying to make bets with another partner of mine for a while, and uh, I like that. Like you know, epistemic status has become like kind of a meme, or like some people kind of make a joke, like and uh, or like I'll actually hear people in conversation say like, well, you know, I'm only about thirty five percent confident on this, but and hmm. it's cool because it is actually part of the you know mindset now. Yeah. To some extent. I, I think that's a really good trend. 
I think it also really helps when you're trying to have a conversation with something that you're not sure about to lay that on the table. Mm-hmm. And it, it really helps clarify the conversation and like not get into this tiresome debate about, well, you said this thing. And it's like, well, yeah, but I, you know, I was only 35% confident in it. And then there's this other thing that, uh, anyway. No, I like that. All right. All right. So the third one is marginally zero sum efforts. I'm going to do this one, Steven. All right. So if it's the long one for me, I'll try and power through the paraphrase. Yeah. <laughs> So the problem of the commons in labeling efforts important, this is like, eh, I don't want to paraphrase this. So he, he gives the analogy of, or the example of like 21 grant applicants looking to get money from 20 different grants. And if they each write one grant proposal letter, then they're pretty likely what, I don't know the math, 90 something percent to get each 95. Good, 95, uh, 21 out of 20. Eh. Well, not exactly 95, yeah. but pretty darn close. So something like that to get a grant. But if you write two, you can bump your odds up to you know the other guys only wrote one so apparently this this is an actual problem that goes crazy where uh, people are writing grant proposals non-stop to try and get keep get funding or keep funding going because they're not sure if it's going to dry up or whatever and it's kind of like i guess he doesn't make this comparison but i am like akin to the problem of like when you're running for re-election so like the last two years of your first term as president is just like constantly campaigning again mm. so like you can't even do your job because you're busy asking to keep doing your job yeah so that's this a similar problem here Although it's less of a uh, commons problem because it's just your problem, but still, yeah. it's just it's it's a it's a lost effort to like can't I be doing the thing I'd like to be doing? No, because I got to keep asking people if I can keep doing it. Right, and it's it's kind of you know every I don't remember if this is a less wrong post or where, but the every cause wants to be a cult thing. It's sort of a thing where every cause wants to be like the most important thing, right? Like, no, my social cause is the most important one. This is what you should be spending your money on. And so sort of we're constantly surrounded by like, this is the most important thing yelling at you and you just get fatigue about it. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the downside is because you can tell at face value some of these just aren't, right? Well, I'm, some of them actually really are important. Some of them are. Yeah, but like but if you... someone's going to be writing a grant proposal saying ALS research is the most important problem humanity could be working on right now, mm-hmm. unfortunately it's not. There aren't enough people afflicted with ALS to make that the most important thing. It's super important. People should care. It should be fixed. No. But to say that's like the one thing we, we should gear humanity's efforts towards for the next five years to fixing is probably not our biggest problem. But to say that, to, to preface your grant proposal with that, saying, I know this isn't like the world's biggest deal, but can you give us some money? <laughs> right. So that's where that, that, that inflation comes from, right? Yeah. You've got to play up what you're working on to say this is actually super, super important. And he says that that's why the, he uses the term marginal zero sum, because there's a marginal return to the individual on additional efforts. Because the one guy who writes three proposals when everyone else is writing one is probably pretty sure to get it. But there's no marginal return to the group. If there's 20 grants, 20 get funded. And if there's a 2,000 grants, still 20 get funded. So uh, everyone would be better off if everyone agreed to write only one. But uh, the rewards for writing two or three is huge. So everyone cheats. Yeah. Same reason that... Uh, oh, yeah, this is where the Brian Kaplan link came from. Right. Yeah. Same reason that the kids never coordinate to only do half the studying. This made me think of the, uh, a really good um, example of, of arm, arms races in evolution mm. uh, that was in Richard Dawkins's book, The Greatest Show on Earth. And he's like, you ever like been out in a field and you see a gigantic tree just, you know, standing there getting shade and all this enormous effort went into building this gigantic trunk to make it huge Mm -hmm. when it could be flourishing with way less effort if it was really close to the ground. So what the hell is going on here? Well, like the natural environment of the tree is around other trees. So it's competing with other trees to like steal their sun and keep them in the shade. Right. And so 
the the human example that many of us have been to, if you're at like at a concert or a sporting event, the person in front of you stands up to get a better view, <laughs> right. and Sorry. you can yeah. you can watch the crowd as everybody has to stand up because the, the person in front of you stood up, yeah. and so on throughout the entire stadium. And now we're all standing and we're all uncomfortable. We could mm-hmm. all be sitting and be more relaxed, but then the first person to sit down. You know, you're not going to encourage other people to sit down because they they they're not going to yeah. risk their their view. Right? Everyone else, they got to look over. Exactly. So it's just one of those things. It's like that one right, asshole. Yeah. The, I mean, you know, or you know, even maybe just the tall person. Maybe they had an excuse or whatever, right? But whatever it is, it's just like now we're all worse off, and there's no going back. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why trees are tall. So because uh, I want to get a better view of the the stadium. It's also so, why we spend so much goddamn time in the office when we don't have to. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's that's so. He gives the example of, uh, <laughs> like, this is even worse than a classic problem of the commons because the common grazing field eventually gets eaten down to bedrock and the farmers <laughs> have to find something else to do with their herds. When the professional efforts are marginally zero-sum but yield positive returns to the individual, like showing up early, staying late and stuff, like, you're not doing more work. No. And nobody in the company, well, they, they probably have to make this, they, they, they make noises to people saying, yes, they're doing, look at how hard they're working. Mm-hmm. Really, they're just there. Mm-hmm. And I did that a lot yeah, at my last job. Same. Not, I mean, not because I didn't want to work, just because I had nothing to do. But if I couldn't sleep, I'd sometimes get in the office at five in the morning, which is like four hours for the rest of my team. Mm-hmm. So if I was there until two and they all left at three, well, I just pulled, you know, a, an appropriately long day, whereas they all pulled a short day. But it like, so I guess it looks decent or whatever, but it's not, doesn't mean I'm working more. I'm spending the first three hours of my day playing on the internet. Yeah. So I, you know, I have a lot of work the first two, two and a half weeks of every month. And then the last one and a half to two weeks, I don't have that much. But I'm still staying there eight hours a day, dicking around on the internet. Because if I leave, my boss is like, the fuck are you doing? We're paying you to be here. I'm like, yes, ma'am. I will stay right here and surf the internet. It'd be nice if they're paying you to do your job and not paying you to be there, right? Uh-huh. But it's, I, guess, I mean, there's probably complicated reasons for why it's hard to like measure exactly how much you're doing. So it just makes more sense to have you around. Yeah. Because uh, then somebody's full-time job is making sure you're doing your job. So. Hmm. Uh, my partner logs all their hours that they're programming and get paid, gets paid for it. But oh, they're, con- cool. they're, they're contracting, they're contracting right? Yeah. yeah. So, well, no, yeah. actually, they're getting hired. So. Oh, cool. Getting getting but paid that's... for the job is what I would prefer. It's like yeah. this is what you hired me to do. This is what I'm going to do. And so there's no there's absolutely no incentive for me to go to my boss and say like, I got nothing to do for three hours except for like if I'm so bored I just want something to do you know. But I don't want my boss to be like, huh? Do we do we need him around if he doesn't have three hours of work every day the last week? And or alternately, oh, you know, she has plenty of free time. Let's give him extra work. Right. I don't and then want the... more work when I could be reading less wrong articles. <laughs> right. So that's the thing, though, is if you went and told your boss that, then yeah. they could they could give you more work. And then yeah. during your busy time, you've got your usual busy stuff on top of the additional stuff they assumed that you could handle. Well, so. and the thing is, I would be happy to take on more work in that last week and a half if they gave me more pay. But they hired me to do this job, and I'm doing this job, and. I'm not going to do more work for you unless you give me more money. Yeah, I'm curious how that's going to work out for me because I've got my first work from home, like honest work from home job next month mm-hmm. or starting next week. And uh, so in a month, I'll be working from home three days out of five. And at my last job, the work from home thing was like people just like not taking a PTO day, but not, you know, I guess they'd have their phones on them. That was like their version of working from home. So like I'm kind of torn because like on the hand, on one hand, it's, I know this is a digression, but we'll try and get through it really fast. But the point is like it's nice to have that downtime and have that be allowed. Yeah. But if I was only logged for stuff I did or if I was only paid for stuff I did yeah. and hours that I could document, yep, I did these things, then there'd be like no relaxation time at work, right? So it's nice to have some buffer, but yeah. it's not nice to be bored. Well, yeah. No, the thing is like if they only pay you for what you actually do, but they pay you enough that uh, you can work six hours and rest for two hours and it's, you know, the same amount – 
as you were as if you're making the same amount as before that's good like that incentivizes people to be fast and do their job quickly and efficiently oh yeah i can imagine myself just working you know three 15 hour days a week and having a five-day weekend yeah we only got 15 minutes left before just has to run so do we want to quickly move on to some listener feedback yes i will just point out that we're going to link to that brian kaplan essay that talked about the kind of a commons problem slash prisoner's dilemma in his classroom that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. So yeah, we'll share that in there. Uh, our less strong posts in two weeks will be priors as mathematical objects, lotteries, a waste of hope and new improved lottery. And we'll link to all those in on the website, the Bayesian conspiracy. Sounds fun. And before we dive into any of the feedback we have time for, we do always have time to thank one of our patrons every episode. So yes. This episode, we've got Rickard. Thank you so much for your support. Um, as you know, as you hear every episode, it means a lot, but especially you, Rickard, really. Yeah. Um, now, uh, this week, you in particular are awesome. Yes, that's right. Thanks thanks for everything you do, keeping the lights on and keeping us, uh, you know, all the stuff. Keeping us in coffee and Soylent. I hope it doesn't sound less sincere, the fact that I say the same thing every time, but it really is. From the, bo- from the bottom of our hearts, it means a lot. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Rickard. We appreciate you. Okay, hitting a few feedbacks quickly so we don't have the big buildup like we did before. The Great Nick says, seems as appropriate as anywhere, but a few episodes ago you had a discussion of ego depletion. And Stephen made a good joke of, sorry I cheated on my wife, but Jeff brought in donuts at work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just to say, this is just to say that ego depletion was a victim of the replication crisis and has probably been disproved. And yeah, I I remember seeing that too, which is kind of sucky. Yeah, I don't know if it's been disproved. I think that there's been, uh, and I'd have to look into this, but my understanding was there were studies done that showed both that ego can be dis- depleted if you like prime it a certain way and that also that if you prime it a different way then it like you continue to generate more motivation yeah and i think I'm, there's a lot of mitigating factors i think so i think my i'm not a, a scientist especially not in this area but i think i'd be surprised to learn that there was no such thing sort of like that mm. like Ever, there, after there's a while definitely you just get something tired. there's something there's definitely something that like you burn up energy being tempted you know mm. that's why i mean Anyone who's had an issue like getting over drugs, you know, one of the best one of the best ways to get over that is to not be around it. Yeah, because being around it is is it's not it's some ego depletion, some habit stuff, or whatever it is. It's just that environment takes effort to yes. keep to keep resisting. And if you're not in that environment, then it takes less effort to re- to resist it, right? But it might not directly translate into I resisted having donuts, so now I can't resist cheating yeah. on my wife. Yes, that sounds fair. There was also one that I wanted to throw in here. Um, one of the uh, let's see. Orin MN on Reddit asked us uh, to discuss how uh, how God Lord Kahneman himself said that he's not optimistic about our ability to overcome bias. So did you guys listen to him on uh, Sam Harris's podcast? I did. Uh, yeah. I didn't. Can you uh, summarize it? I mean, so his summary was really, it was just Harris had him on. He had read, Harris has read Rationality AI to Zombies, and he's aware of all this. And I think we discussed in that Reddit thread that I sort of assumed Kahneman was aware of it. Like somebody probably would have told him at some point, you know, there's this whole thing, right? Well, so I'm, I'm assuming I he's, he's he, aware of the community. Yeah, but so, he's done a lot of his own research into the, the you know, actual overcoming of biases and right. such. Yeah. yeah, so I guess I wasn't sure if Kahneman's comments was discussing the rationalist community or he was discussing no. the state of the research. I think he was just discussing human malleability in general, and he did not seem very optimistic. Yeah, so I don't have a lot to say about that. I think, I think in my opinion, Kahneman's... Uh, in my opinion Kahneman's opinion is probably somewhat colored by the fact that he is resistant to change himself and really all humans are resistant to change but I think just being like this is a bias we must overcome is a wrong way of doing things and putting in structures of support in society to lean people in a direction is is a much more efficient way of doing things like 
300 years ago, not having slaves was really hard to the point that even people who were really against slavery didn't get rid of their own slaves in their lifetime. And if you did, you were like a paragon of virtue, right? And nowadays, like just to even consider that is unthinkable because of how we've managed to restructure society. Yeah. A different example, like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy teaches you to recognize distortions in your thinking and to catch yourself in the act of doing it and reframe those thoughts enough that it becomes encoded into like your muscle memory. I know because I've been doing cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, I see no reason why you wouldn't be able to do the same thing with cognitive biases. Like this is, you know, a form of therapy that works for a lot of people and has a lot of backing. I'm inclined to agree. I think that's why we're here. If we didn't believe there's anything to this, we wouldn't be hanging out talking about it. Right. I think, I don't know what Conwin would say. I mean, it could be that he, you know, maybe he'd well, be he could, sardonically he'd say that we're deluding ourselves. That's what I was going to say. It's like you just now you have this clever vocabulary to describe, you know, all the ways that you think you're better. But really, you're all just sophisticated arguers. I don't think he's that that pessimistic about it, but that could be. So he might even say you guys are just deluding yourselves. He's, oh, you've always secretly wanted to be this like rational, better, smarter than everyone else person. And this is how you think that you're accomplishing it. Mm. Uh, I don't know, maybe. I mean, that's like a weird free will thing where it's like, right. maybe we did all just want to be rational anyway, and we kind of all found each other and then made this community. I don't know, like, which came first, but <laughs> I definitely think there's something to at least sharing the ideas, even if all the people in the community were people that would have gravitated towards the same kind of thing anyway. Like, now we've kind of all found each other and have much cooler things to talk about and work on because of it. Yeah. That just occurred to me being, like, the, the best part of working for, like, a rationalist company. It did, uh, when it, when you we talked about that was a thing in Berkeley, I my initial thought would be like, oh man, that'd be just like kind of cringy. <laughs> um, like people just sitting there, you know, like comparing, like I don't, try whatever, like the very subtle art of like not wearing your beliefs as attire like, in the form of like laptop stickers or something. <laughs> but uh, so I was thinking like they'd be like trying to outcompete themselves like on their less wrong nerdiness, like in a way that wasn't like obvious. But right, right. no, the, I think one awesome perk is that like, no, we're actually like, we have all the virtues instilled again into the company in a way that's not just a meaningless value statement from the company. Like we're actually trying to do these things right. I understand uh, they communicate really well. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, maybe Kahneman wasn't playing that part up enough when in his analysis that like the, you know, doing this by yourself might be harder than doing it in, or it's probably definitely harder than doing it in groups that it might be point, might be more futile or something, mm-hmm. but doing it in a group, having an environment that fosters that sort of stuff and people, other people to call you out when you're falling short, that sounds crazy valuable. So, and I think more, more fruitful. Um, you pulled out one here. I want to just touch really quickly. Um, in the last episode, I had said that there aren't any, there probably aren't kids listening to this. Yes. Apparently <laughs> somebody has been listening. A uh, messy carpenter wrote on our subreddit that they've been listening to the podcast since they were 12, which holy shit blew my mind. Yeah. I didn't know that there were children. I mean, our first, Dozen episodes probably weren't meant for 12-year-olds. Steven, we are doing our part to help corrupt the youth of America. All right. High five. Uh, high five. I'll, I'll, I'll hit that. Or corrupt slash help. Is, <laughs> is, is, it, is it corruption? If, you, like, uh, if it's to our side of the force, it is always corruption. <laughs> <laughs> corrupt, corrupting them with, with the light. Yes. Cool. So that's interesting. Thanks for letting us know. I, I would never have guessed that. Yeah. Maybe because I, didn't, I don't think podcasts were invented until I was like 16 or 17. So. Yeah, that's a good point. But... I yeah that's cool all right that's really cool <laughs> I guess share these we're at all school. just sitting yeah. here in awe right now <laughs> yeah just picturing somebody at junior high like trying to share a podcast with a friend and I was the only person I knew what in would high they school. do tap their phones together <laughs> I would have loved if there was like stuff like this available when I was 12 like reading methods of rationality would have been really cool yeah. that would have been fun I yeah, like like I think people our age were reading Ender's Game alone mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah my version of that was listening to podcasts 
and having nobody to discuss them with and even feeling really uncomfortable telling people to listen to podcasts because <laughs> there weren't like popular ones out yet so yeah what's a uh, podcast yeah and i had so to like, like try an and explain radio and, station yeah and then you know it was like oh, okay so it's like what's well, like some science thing like skeptoid i've been listening to that mostly every week since it came out like 11 years ago <laughs> maybe maybe 11 or 12 and it was you know, I didn't, I, I felt uncomfortable talking about it to people. So I don't know. I don't have any advice for children. I, if, if anything like that comes up, if, if I think of anything good advice for children, I will, I will dish it out. My advice is stay cool. Stay cool, man. Yeah. Be excellent to each other. Right. Oh, and get, party on, dude. They don't get these references. <laughs> oh, everyone gets that reference. I didn't see Wayne's World until like That's last year. Bill and Ted, dude. No, the, the, uh, party on. Was oh, Bill, oh, no, no, no. Uh, was Bill and Ted's philosophy is be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Oh, oh I was thinking party on Garth was Wayne's Oh, world, oh, but, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. They were very similar. I saw yeah. I saw Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure two or three years ago. Okay. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. have got it. When I, I also told. only just saw that recently because Ian Yash lent it to me. So. <laughs> oh, all right. It's a great movie and has some of the best time time travel in, in Hollywood, I think. They are making a new one. Speaking I know. of Keanu Reeves. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and Alex Winters. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited. So, yeah. All right. Do we have any other feedbacks we have time for? Uh, do we have time for this? No, we probably don't have time for D-Line. We'll get to that one next time. That's a long one. Yeah. Uh, so, hopefully we can hit this one quickly. Cyborg Ciderman says, in our Ask, Ask Me Anything thread, uh, thanks for the podcast. It's been wonderful on my long commutes. Uh, how do you juggle reading, podcasting, working, and importantly, your personal life? Resting? What's your secret? That's for you. That's for uh, me. <laughs> shit. I, okay. I mean, I, I, you're the one who does all those things. I do very little. So, like, I most of my time at home, I'm being unproductive and, and playing video games and relaxing or watching TV. So, speaking of TV, quick yeah. plug for the Santa Clarita Diet. I told you not about this when you were drunk. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> I do remember. It is one of the funniest shows. It's like the, the humor level, like, jokes per second is on par with, like, community. Okay. And the level of dialogue is hilarious. The plot's funny. The acting is great. It's on Netflix. First three seasons. So, Part of the way that I do this is by I will never get to watch Santa Clara Diet because yeah. <laughs> uh, because uh, I I just this is less true right now so I'll get to that in a second but pretend this is me from six months ago speaking uh, I just don't do other things I don't play video games I very rarely watch TV like fifty percent of the TV watching watching that I do is while I'm exercising because I you know need something else to occupy my brain while I'm moving the muscles around. And that's not that much time every week, so I just don't see a lot of TV. Um, I don't get to do much reading aside from what I read from my book club, which uh, is still one or two books a month, so I guess it's not nothing. Um, In the second half of the month, I have some free hours at work, like I was just saying, but basically every moment of my day is fit in with something that I am doing with, you know, some, some time for resting every now and then, I guess. And uh, as a caveat to that, all this fell apart a few months ago, and I've kind of been having sort of a depression thing, which I'm, you know, I hope successfully hiding on the podcast. But uh, I have been doing much less. I basically have stopped writing, and I'm doing a lot of video games right now instead. But it's it's been nice to isolate myself from the hurdy ouchy world in video games. So, yeah. You've also like bought another property, and I've been renovating it and still working full-time and doing this podcast and recording another podcast. Don't let okay, anyone so think yes, Enoch isn't doing super those. busy. <laughs> and you're still doing book club. And so. I'm still doing my book club. Okay, yeah. yeah, but yeah, you're doing pretty well. Okay, but I'm sorry to hear about that. Mm. I am too. I, I hope that you. I mean, you know, it'll that you're, pass you're, eventually. You're doing well yeah. as best you can, and like self care is good. You yeah. know, you can't. Sometimes you, can't you just be, gotta turtle up for a while. Totally. As long as you're, and like you, I think you mentioned 
that it's the kind of thing that like you're good at tackling at this point so it's like yep this sucks and it'll be over and i can just you know yeah do it while it's going on so it's still a bummer though yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. we're making better medicines for that so hang yeah. in there <laughs> i'm not sure medicines will be enough I think I need to go get some therapy. Um, therapy is very good, and I would highly recommend it. I would have gone to therapy a month ago, but I just bought this place that I'm renovating. I don't <laughs> have time for therapy. <laughs> that That is, yeah, that is another one of the problems. You just don't have time for a lot of things. People will invite you to stuff, and you're like, I can't go this time. Yeah. Um, my secrets, I think, were all divulged on the Productivity Tools episodes one and two of this episode, of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh kind of funny how like different people work where i feel like you know, you don't like do a lot of structured stuff you kind of just have the motivation to do this stuff mm-hmm. i have to like kick my own ass and make lots of like weird structures and use like getting things done and also it really works better for me if i do have the structure of a job now that i have a full-time job again i'm getting a lot more done just because i like it, it's weird when i'm unemployed i get less done Mm. and uh, it's kind of awful because I just spend my entire time being anxious about being unemployed and trying to distract myself from that. And then, like, now that I have a job, it's like, aha, now I have to get up at a certain time and be at this place at this certain time, and then the rest of my time is divided into these chunks, which I can now break into smaller chunks and use for these projects, and everything snaps back into place. Nice. Like, I think that's why working at a, like, you know, a structured co-working thing was much more helpful for me than just trying to, like, do it by myself. I, I need some kind of external structure. And it's cool that, like, your job is one that you feel passionate about, too. Yeah, that's really nice. Like, kind of today, I just spent, like, the entire day in a regulatory room just, like, sorting binders. And, like, it, it was fine. <laughs> it would have been really boring at another job, but it's just because I'm working on something cool and important. I'm like, this isn't bad. Of course, it's also my, like, second week on the job, so right. I might get sick of regulatory days. after a while. But I feel like not, because I worked in other jobs where I had, like, boring routine stuff to do as part of the job. And I kind of actually enjoy that part of the job, as long as you can kind of just, like get into a rhythm i can get into the flow and uh just be doing a thing and it, it feels pretty good and then you feel accomplished after the fact yeah i don't i don't do a lot of extracurricular stuff like the way that i kept in gear so i, I left my last job at the beginning of february and i just got offered my last job last week or i guess yeah last week or the week before mm-hmm. and i start in a week so like when i have when there's actually like a good carrot or stick situation for me you know if if the fire is burning like hey you know you need to get a job you're gonna you're gonna you know not eat then i'm able to like be pretty regimented but not in a way that like i guess i have the drive to go out and do above and beyond it was more like i would cut my video game time to like an hour a day and i'd do it in the morning when like my tea was kicking in my caffeine pills were sinking in and getting me going and then be productive for a few hours um yeah i don't have whatever it is you guys have i don't have the, the base level motivation that you have <laughs> or the like the will and desire and ability to like be my own you know fitness coach at the gym right so well, okay part of the part of the motivation is also having this uh crippling feeling that you are worthless as a human and so you get all of your meaning out of the things that you do which is great for like being productive and being a capitalist member of society and all that but you also don't really have any self-worth so oh man seconded yeah. I would love to disavow you guys of that, of that way of viewing yourself, but I'm worried that then you would stop doing cool stuff. So <laughs> right. it's, maybe this why this, this is why artists are so sad. <laughs> that's exactly it. Actually, it's the trope. Yeah. 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 Well, on that happy note, I think that's our, that's our two hours, right? So yeah. All right. Please support us on Patreon so we can feel less worthless <laughs> seeing how many people love us. <laughs> Please validate us. Yay. Okay, um, yeah, enough of that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all guys for listening along, and we will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Thanks.